Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, April 8th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Got a lot to cover today. Follow up from yesterday because I wanted to make sure for the third time we can actually talk about the World Vaccine Congress, talk about the very concerning developments in regard to injections or, I mean, that's actually not the appropriate way to discuss it. I guess immunization being, we've talked about the plant mRNA vaccination vector for a long time on this platform, long before COVID-19. And it's a very obvious reality today. It's, it's coming back up in the conversation. Thank God. A lot of people have been pointing out that it's now being kind of publicly discussed as some things we should be trying. And in a really alarming development, Apparently, there's been a Chinese study where they are claiming, at the very least, that they've used exosomes within milk to basically use milk as the vector to immunize a mice in this discussion. And there's so many ways to take that topic. This is, understand, while they're telling you simultaneously that it's literally impossible for mRNA to, trans, to transfer via breast milk from woman to infant, but you know. That's totally different, though, apparently, and I'm sure there, there are differences, but to realize that it's possible, it just shows you that it's being kind of selectively applied. But the obvious step in the direction of using different vectors and then, and then, of course, potentially having things be done that you don't know about. And then, of course, the grand conspiracy theory question, is it already happening? You're not allowed to ask that question anywhere, anywhere outside of the fringe independent media, despite how often that is the case incredible but we're also going to talk about twitter today to start out it's interesting how this conversation is going everyone's being driven to take sides now with what just maybe many of you might not have even seen what just happened with matt taibbi and twitter apparently matt taibbi is leaving twitter and it's this whole interesting discussion and i'm going to get into what i think i why i think this is actually important why i think it really does expose what this twitter psyop really was and it's not a partisan paradigm thing guys as much as that's how a lot of people want to see it that we're being driven to essentially side with Matt Taibbi and his excellent work around the files because the corporate media is swinging in and saying, it's all fake, we knew it, and blah, 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 which, by the way, has never been what we've been saying. As always, we've argued that most, I mean, anybody honest has been able to point out that most of the Twitter files screenshot information without the source material we assume is behind it, which it probably is, was about stuff we already knew. Maybe you could argue we couldn't prove what there's a lot of evidence to suggest. And the bottom line is, is a lot of these things that we largely knew, like that the government was working with these platforms to censor people. <sighs> Gasp. We all knew that was actually happening because we could prove it before. But there's a lot of other stuff that did come out that I did actually think find important. Assuming we could see the source material that would verify that there wasn't more to the story or they weren't hiding things or selectively editing or and on and on and on. Now what's happening with Taibi? First, with the interview he did with, um, I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head, I'll show you in a moment, where he was just going after him in, in ways that even I would argue were a little bit ridiculous, but sussing through, pulling things out of the conversation that I did still find interesting. But then, of course, using that momentum to argue that all of it was fake, and that's where the corporate media is coming from, the establishment, which doesn't then mean that Twitter was on your side. We have to see that this is not a binary game, but... With what's happening now, I really do believe that the core point was to get us to fall into this trap. And I'm even starting to think that possibly that also happened to Matt Taibbi. How can we possibly know? I want you guys to come to your own conclusions. But what I think we can easily realize is that it, it's not what we were promised. Clearly, free speech is out the door. 
limited speech or, or freedom of reach, but not for freedom of speech, not freedom of reach. These are all games. Those are limits. That's not absolute free speech. That's not even free speech. But that, that got debated. Then it just was, well, you know, it's difficult and things are still problematic and we're going to get there and he's fighting for the right things. That doesn't seem to be the case. I could still be wrong. Where's all the other files? Where's the source material they swore up and down was right behind what they were doing? Even from Matt Taibbi. He knows. Maybe he felt like it was coming. I don't know. But on top of that, where's the Fauci files? Where are the rest of the information that they were screaming was just come? Where's the rest of the source code that he swore was going to happen? Then it was a little bit of it. And the rest is coming. And I guess that's probably never going to happen. But even then, all the stuff that's being shown in the source code is revealing exactly the concerns that we had. But then, of course, his comments are, oh, well, that's things that we're discovering, too. Maybe that's true. I just think we need to realize that a lot of this is just like it was before with a little bit of a different slant to it. We're going to get into all that and as much pretty much hashed it out right there in the beginning. But we're also going to talk about I, I want to rehash some of the things that we've been kind of I had to rush through in the last couple of shows. I'm going to talk about briefly again some of the stuff I pointed at East Palestine because I don't want it to get missed. But I'm going to focus on the long covid con discussion today, as well as the vaccine part to wrap it out. And I'm not in a rush today, so we're going to get to it all. So stay tuned. A lot to talk about. Let's start off with the Twitter discussion. Now, this is where it all kind of stems from, at least to start off today in the in, in, in the, the split between Matt Taibbi and Twitter and what that really shows us. Twitter now disables likes, replies and retweets if a tweet has Substack links. This happened yesterday, as far as I can tell. Let me see. This was technically posted as of the 7th. Yeah. So yesterday was when this was kind of roundly at least discussed. And there's a lot of people that didn't know because this wasn't roundly posted or, or advertised. And so what's interesting is that this is this is censorship. I mean, this is suppression. Let's put it that way, because what you're really doing is just going, well, we don't like that Substack can get reached through our platform and that whether they see it as competition, whether it's because the establishment through Twitter sees Substack as a threat to the flow of information. You can think of it however you want, but that's Twitter or rather Elon Musk stepping up and saying, nope, that can't do that anymore. But you can see why that's a huge problem for people like Matt Taibbi, who have essentially built what they've been doing through Substack. And that's something that Elon allowed in the beginning. And now suddenly it's kind of being swung back around. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I'm going to, I'll read you what the discussion is and how essentially they're just being, oh, we'll come right for Twitter then. And it just seems like this weird game that's being played. And Matt is seemingly saying, I'm done with this and I'm going to Substack. But this is where this kind of began. And, and what's interesting to me is this is clearly not what we were promised, right? Why would Substack, like somebody makes a great point. Well, it's an independent company. And then why would they allow other competing companies? Okay, well, they explained for me as the person made in their tweet, said their tweet. Why doesn't that same thing happen for Rumble links or any other links or other social media platform links, which are also still postable on there? Even like the Mastodon thing, which happened during that first spot. So why Substack specifically and none the rest? There's something, there's more to this, obviously. But what happened in an interview just before this, which is interesting to understand, this took place just before the Substack thing. Apparently, even Amat Taibbi was acknowledged, or whether he, let's put it this way, before he saw it. I can't know that for sure, but he doesn't seem to discuss it in this interview. And then right after this, he seems to, I mean, if he was going to be leading Twitter in this interview, I think that would have been a focal point. Either way, what this interview is, and this is uh, Mehdi Hassan, is essentially trying to expose Matt Taibbi for being either manipulative or incompetent. I'm not sure the, which angle he's real, maybe both, but I do agree with the general consensus here that this was sort of gotcha journalism. 
that he's really just hyper-focused on these little discrepancies that, which are valid and they do, um, you can look at it for yourself, look at it from a nonpartisan lens. And you have to admit some of these things do strike interest, but my perception I'll play it for you, is that this is more so about the the obvious realization now that even Matt Taibbi, for whatever reasoning he decided was made made sense of this, for somebody who has done source material in the past, decided to go into this and take what they gave him at face value. Now, he makes good arguments about why that's how this has to go sometime. You can decide for yourself whether you think he's being honest, whether you think that he made the right choice. Bottom line is, what all of this shows you is that behind it all, you had an apparatus that was selectively doling out information to people that were reporting on it. Now, whether the reporting was honest or not, my argument and plenty of other people the whole time was exactly that. Why are we taking at face value part of the story and acting like we know there's that, that that's everything or that the screenshots were indicative of larger source material? That, again, most likely. But it seems that with these people now kind of combing through it all and making all these different points that even Matt was going, well... I did. That's what the guy said in the video. It's like, okay, was it the truth? And even that's being disputed. You'll see what I mean, that people are going, well, here he did say it, and here's why it could be true. But ultimately, what it comes down to is they're all arguing based on somebody else's statement. He said this, therefore, it makes it valid. But isn't that exactly our point? This was all based on essentially a screenshot argument as opposed to the full source material. Decide for yourself. Let's take a listen to this. A lot about the election integrity project in the Twitter files, which Stanford and the University of Washington founded to monitor attacks on our elections. And just I should have included in case you don't know for the podcast. This is now um, um, again, Hassan on MSNBC. Like literally one of the most garbage platforms you can find out there, you know, like Rachel Maddow and the garbage they continue to spin about Russia. I mean, this is MS, MSNBC. Let's not pretend like they have any credibility other than the faux clout they think they have because they're in this corporate realm. I mean, I don't think anybody out there other than the blind team sport politics supporters actually believe in these channels anymore. Even the Fox and CNN supporters. So just that being said, there's no sides being taken here. I have no respect for anybody on these corporate platforms. But for that same point, I'm very skeptical of anybody, including Matt Taibbi. Now let's let this play out. Um, and... You say some stuff about them that a lot of your critics say is not true, and that affects your credibility. You said the EIP was founded in response to the government dropping its proposal for a disinformation government. Well, there you are. We're quoting you on screen. It wasn't. It was formed two years earlier. Uh, you suggest it was government funded, even though during the 20 election, 2020 election that you're covering, it wasn't. Uh, you say they labeled 22 million tweets as misinformation in the run up to the 2020 vote. They didn't. Uh, they got they flagged 3000 election misinformation tweets for labeling. So you were only 21 million nine hundred ninety seven thousand off. And you also um, claim the EIP was let me finish the question. You can come. I'm gonna, I have comments on most of these, but I'm going to let it rattle off and then let you let Matt say what he's going to say. And then I'll tell you my thoughts. Back in. You also claim the EIP was partnered with the government cybersecurity and infrastructure agency, CISA, to censor Twitter. But you mix up CISA, CISA, a homeland security agency, with the Center for Internet Security, the CIS, which is a nonprofit. In fact, you added an A to CIS. I think people can see it there uh, in brackets. Uh, to make that false claim. It's just error after error, Matt, on just this one That's topic. Error. But, the other, but the, the other ones aren't. The, no, no, the, 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 the 22 million number came from their own report? Yeah. We- okay, and here's my first point. So who's right? Both of them are taking at face value reports coming from the very people that they're reporting on, right? So 
Mahidi here goes and says, oh, well, well, what do you guys say? Oh, well, here's our information. Right. It's, it's all it's the stuff that you can look at with stuff that we're I would first of all be willing to bet that they have more access to information than the average person does when they reach out to the Twitter background for me just because that's corporate media. Regardless, Matt Taibbi is saying, no, that's what they said. So he's taking the data that he was given and their internal emails and what they wrote down. Now, could they have made an act a mistake? Yes. Could they have been lying in those emails? Yes. That's the kind of context that we don't ultimately get when you get a stream thread of Twitter 280 character tweets that ultimately go through what is being given to them. Now, I'm not saying he's wrong. My point is, how do we know? Because you could point to Matt is saying that's what they're said. Mahidi, uh, I, I don't know why I keep having trouble with his name. Hassan, I'm just going to say Hassan, has been saying or is saying here that that's not what they ultimately say, that they said that's what they pulled entirely, but they only flagged this many. Could they not have been lying to him? Could he not have been manipulated? Could he be lying? Yes, all the way around. So it comes down to exactly what the point that Steve and other of us have been making about this whole thing, that they are training you to take somebody at some level at face value. That's what they want from you, even with truthful information. When in reality, we should ne- we shouldn't there's, there's never been a time that I can see in the in living memory that we should be more critical of literally every source of information. But we're being trained. They're trying very hard with with this two party paradigm dynamic that drives you to pick a side. I take the side of objectivity and truth, even though I could be wrong, too. And it, it came from a report in March. Do you know what the 22 million number is, Matt? Can you tell me? Because we checked. 22 million is the number of tweets about election misinformation that were just that they just mapped. How many tweets were they? The ones they actually flagged to Twitter before the election. 22 million came after the election. It wasn't in the run up. They flagged 3,000. So you were off by 21 million 997,000. And how are you supposed to respond to that? Right. I doubt Matt's responses after this have made it clear that this wasn't some kind of discussed previously. They just kind of bombarded him on this interview with things he didn't expect, which is an interview for you. But how exactly is Matt supposed to respond to that? Right. Can you show me what you're pointing to with his smug response about how he clearly knows you're wrong based on what I was given? Like, this is just, you know, see what I'm saying? So for Matt's position, he's just going to reiterate, well, that's not what I saw. Okay. So everyone's going to pick their side based on what they've already thought with that kind of conversation, which is the point. A lot of things. I, 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 I stand by my story. You stand by what story? You stand by 22 million were flagged in the run up to the election, even though that number came in March 2021, which was after the election. No, that's this came in their report after the election, which was about some some total of tweets that they counted on the election. What they flagged to Twitter was two thousand nine hundred eighty tweets, I believe. So that's nowhere near twenty two million. Uh, Come on, what? You got something wrong. You got CISA wrong. Why did you add A? Okay, Matt, why did you add A in square brackets? Do you understand why people worry about that? I actually thought that. And why didn't you fix it? I just checked the tweet before I came on air. It's been three weeks since it was flagged to you. Why not fix it? Do you not have editors at the record? I I didn't realize that until now. Okay, and what about the date? You got the date wrong when it was found. You said it was founded in response to the disinformation board. That was last year. Well, because Stamos is saying in the, in the video that, uh, you know, we were sort of created to fill the gaps. Right. So he's saying that's what that this is the information that. They, so, again, without full context. The guy that he's reporting on says this. No, he was he wrong. Was he incorrect? And the bottom line is on two, well, I guess two points here is that on one side of this, it's just the same point that Matt is engaging with what he was given. On the other side of this, though, are you going to pretend that Hassan or any of these people are even a fraction of this, this critical with anything coming from corporate media, MSNBC, any of that? 
Oh, you got a date wrong. Oh, everything you've ever done is in question. Like, realize how stupid this ultimately is. Now, that matters. Of course it does. But for them to make this with this whole slant being the insinuation that this was almost intentional or that was more about working with Elon, that was all that's what they're aiming at here without saying it. And it's very clumsy. Everyone can see that. But couldn't Matt have just been mistaken or wrong or misled? Yes. But you see, this is all politics, guys, and it's all about the game. On one side, it's about trying to, you know, maintain the work that he thinks he did and that being right, even if I think maybe, oh, maybe I was misled. Because now with the Twitter thing we'll get to, I feel like maybe he thinks that. It's my opinion. But then on the other side of it, Hassan and the rest of the corporate media is all about trying to make this seem like they're the only ones you can listen to and everything else is fake. Neither side seems genuine to me. Right? I mean, it's, it's actually pretty impossible. But ultimately, it comes down to trusting somebody. That's what they want from you. Um, no, that's not, that's not what you say in the tweet. That's not what you say in the tweet. You say, SIL was created in 2018. No, no, no. You say, this is what you say, that it would, the EIP was created after the public uproar paused the disinformation board. That's wrong. You need to correct that as well, don't you? After the... Uh, that's what no, your words. You say, to quote you, after public uproar paused the Orwellian disinformation governance board, Stanford created the EIP. That's wrong. Well, uh, that's what they say. I, 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 uh, my, well, you my could check, you, could check, you don't need sources, Matt. You could check the EIP website. It says it was created in 2020. Well, that's the date that I just said. And the, the disinformation board was 2022. Okay. All right. Well, then that is an error. Okay. So what's interesting here from both sides of this is that is that an example of Matt Taibbi just reporting what the what the data he was given from Twitter was saying and not necessarily checking to see if what was being stated was, in fact, correct. That's one way to look at this. It's kind of impossible to flush this out when you're getting thrown rapid fire things with absolute certainty when you can't see what he's pointing at. Right. That's how corporate media operates. But either way. Both sides of this seem disingenuous, but I don't be pressured into the feeling like you have to take a side here. I think that Matt, that my gut is telling me in the moment with what we're going to get into next, that Matt Taibbi kind of got played here. I don't know if I'm right on that. I don't know. Certainly possible that he was involved with the lies or maybe that I don't know. I don't think anybody truly does other than Matt Taibbi and Elon Musk and whoever else is involved. But ultimately, it does seem like there's more going on around all of this, right? Like there's that this is a... Same point, trying to get us to trust somebody in this dynamic instead of actually just questioning what we're looking at. Now, Viva Frey follows up and says, you act like a bona fide bully, bombarding Matt, then not letting him speak. Here's the clip in which the individual himself says CISA. So point is, Matt's right insofar as that the guy he was reporting on in regard to the information did say that. But was that correct? Apparently, Matt just conceded that it wasn't. So a lot of people were taking these threads and information at face value because, well, they've got the source material. But it might have been good to see some of that so we could check it for ourselves. And I'm not talking about this video. I'm talking about the the rest of everything else behind it. Now, here is uh, Hassan again talking about how did you go from being the scourge of this and you know basically trying to accuse him of not attacking Elon Musk. Now, this is the kind of garbage journalism we can expect from corporate media or like like attacking somebody for not standing up and and you know uh what's the term they use condemning this in the strongest terms like like the story is that trump didn't condemn the bad thing that just happened like that's like really so your argument now becomes that you're you're attacking him for not criticizing elon musk how do you attack somebody for not doing something because you believe that that's the important thing like this just feels pretty silly it really does but again on top of it 
I think we need to realize that even from Matt's perspective, that there's a little bit of a game being played here from, from a, I don't want to partisan side of this, but ultimately I think it's becoming obvious that Matt Taibbi was maybe even expecting this to culminate in something with maybe release of source material, but it doesn't seem like that's where he, the way he's responding today, where that's where this is at all. Now I want you guys to ask that about, you know, whether, Everybody. I mean, we got, we got people like Barry Weiss and all these people that I have a really hard time believing are honest, real, serious people that aren't just being guided by their own at agendas and politics. But historically, I've thought that Matt has done some good work on some of this stuff. And that's why I was kind of shocked that some I missed the first point I made. Somebody who's been who's done source material in the past and made lots of statements about how important it is to do these things right falls into this. It just I don't know. I'm confused by it, especially with what's happening now. Let's, let's watch this last one since he announced he was going to buy Twitter last April. And not a word of criticism about him in any of those 30-plus tweets. Musk is a billionaire who's been found to have violated labor laws multiple... Right, so tweets about the Twitter hierarchy before. And you expect him to attack Musk in this unrelated series of information? Like, just go out of your way to include... This is like people... Like, you'll write an article about Afghanistan, and somebody swings in and says, How come you... You can't believe you've never even mentioned Bolivia? And it's like, What? <laughs> Well, maybe I'm focused on other things. Maybe you find that to be super important and you're arguing like that I because I haven't talked about it. I've never included it. Like it's it's that's not reality. And it could mean that the point is here. They just love to make this argument. But, you know, who knows what Matt's personal perspective is on Elon Musk. And maybe it is because he didn't want to go after him because maybe he felt there was a larger thing building. All these things matter. I just this this whole interview seems exactly how people are framing it. It's this is a he's bullying him essentially. He's this is gotcha journalism. And if you really wanted to have this conversation, I bet I, you could have flushed this out. But the reason they wouldn't have is because I bet you Matt would have had reasonable explanations for some of the things they talk about instead of just jumping rapidly from one thing to the next. Times, including in the past few days, he's attacked labor unions, reportedly fired employees on a whim, slammed the idea of a wealth tax, told his millions of followers to vote Republican last year, and in oh good, so he's got his own opinions that you don't agree with. What a villain. Look, I'm not you. You know my opinions of Elon Musk. I think all of these people are manipulating you. But the way he's framing this is childish. Take a drink. <laughs> the point is that it's really clear that these people are pointing at things that they are framing as evil, bad, and wrong. On the other side, just like being Republican, therefore makes you a villain. That's the kind of mindset of today. But why would he point these things out if this is completely unrelated to what was being discussed? Response to a right-wing coup against Bolivian leftist president Evo Morales. He tweeted, "We'll coup whoever we want," and yet, which is ridiculous. But what does that have to do with Twitter files that they've already been going through? You've been silent on all of that. How did you go, Matt, from being the scourge of Wall Street, the man who called Goldman Sachs the vampire squid, to being unable, unwilling to say anything critical at all about this right-wing reactionary yeah. anti-union billionaire? Hello, am I still on? Yes, you're still on. How have you, well, I'm just wondering how come you've never criticized Musk despite all that? Look, so I, I, I like Elon Musk. I, I met him. This is part of the calculation when you do, the, do one of these stories. Are they going to give you information that's going to make you look stupid? Do you think their motives are sincere about doing X or Y? Uh, when and, and I didn't. I, I, I thought, I mean, I, I did. I thought his motives were sincere about, about the Twitter files. And I, I admired them. I think he did a tremendous public service in opening the files up. Well, see, if and when this becomes something that everybody has access to, and assuming what Matt was looking at was the full picture, 
Like to me, I just my opinion again, it strikes me it seems like he believed in what was happening for whatever reason. Now, the fact that he's leaving Twitter, which we'll get to next, that kind of speaks to the opposite. Maybe he has been disillusioned, you know, like it's 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 been the illusion's been broken. Possibly. But that doesn't mean I have to agree with him about everything. And Agreed, when I, I agree with you, but you never you never disagree with him. You've gone silent. People would say that's access I'm, journalism. Jeez. No. No, I haven't done I haven't reported anything that that, that limits my ability to talk about Elon Musk. So will uh, you criticize or, him today for banning journalists, for working with Modi government to shut down speech, for, you know, being anti-union? You you can go for it. I'll give you as much time as you like. Would you like to criticize Musk now? <laughs> no, I don't I don't particularly want to. And of course, that's going to be framed as him saying, "I don't want to criticize him," but I would have done the same damn thing. Don't put me on the spot and make it sound like when I don't do it, that therefore I'm doing whatever you like. This is this is bad. And I, there's no way Hassan does not know that. Right. This is a, he's a manipulator. Like, I, period. This whole thing was designed to suss out what you think is happening. That's not journalism. You don't give him time to engage in the conversation. This is ridiculous. Now, that all that being said, I, whether, I the, the question for me is whether Matt is engaging in this honestly or not. But either way, I 100% think the process was a psyop, 100%, and still is, right? Now, people are talking about others that I think, you know, have covered this topic in general, but I would question whether that is, you know, it, in a lot of people's minds, it's the easy, low-hanging fruit to come out and go after the media and go after the corporate framing of it and act like the Twitter files is either not bad or at least, you know, or, you know, absolutely good fighting for free speech. And that's what a lot of people are doing because it's easy. And maybe they're right. I could be wrong. But are we really going to stand back and pretend that the whole Twitter psyop or excuse me, Twitter files process has been exactly what was promised or even remotely? Not like there's been hitches and hurdles, but it's just not what they promised. Where is the source material? But, I, you know, a lot of people would love to take this because it's an easy low hanging fruit that'll make them look like they're fighting against the power. When truly. A lot of times that's not the case, even though it may appear that way. Um, I, it, look, I didn't, I didn't criticize him really before. Uh, and I think that what the Twitter files are uh, is a step in the right direction. Okay. Well, that brings us to where we are. Oh, actually, I, know, I forgot I had a couple more points in general. So what's funny is Hassan blocked Aaron Mate because he essentially, you know, point gets engaged with this conversation. He says, uh, he says, so this actually means that Hassan and his staff found a grand total of one error in mass reporting. He got a date wrong. Well, yeah, that's a little bit debatable, but I agree that this is minute stuff in the bigger picture, which is designed to make people who want to call this out for the wrong reasons be like, yep, we knew it. We knew it. It's over. It's all fake news. But that's not the case, though, is it? They were censoring. And the government was working with them, not because of the screenshots they showed us, but because that was the case. But now you're giving people on, I guess, the left side of the argument, the reason to step in and say, oh, I knew it was all fake. At the same time, arguing that now Twitter's doing that because Elon's in control. Don't you love this teeter-totter of the two-party illusion? How it goes back and forth. And they're literally making the same arguments in reverse. But it wasn't before, though. Now it's happening, though. I mean, God dang it. It's just, it's endless. It's like being in this hamster wheel and of, of psychotic illusion. It never stops. Anyway, he follows up and says that he blocked him because he points this out. So, so much for winning every argument. So hopefully others can ask him if he will re react his, uh, retract his false claims about Matt's reporting. Matt says, which I admitted, CIS, CISA in one tweet and so on. 
but we pointed out what that's coming from, right? That ultimately it was what the guy said. And so he, and he put it in brackets. I mean, I don't know why that wouldn't have been focused on. His whole point was that it seems that he was aware there was a little bit of a discrepancy. Putting it in brackets was the, like, I think that's what it's supposed to be. But he did say CIS. Seems pretty clear to me, right? But people on the two-party paradigm really want to jump on everything they can. But I'm going to, I'm going to say, I was going to go through and see if there's any new points here, but I'm going to leave. You guys can look at his thread if you want to see what he's been saying. Kind of see the update. I was going to see if there's anything new. Uh, let's see. Now, I'm, I'll leave it there for you guys to check out. But what's interesting to me, guys, and then we'll get into Matt leaving Twitter based on the Substack point, is this happened, right? Substack is suddenly yanked. To be clear, you can post Substack links, but even our T-Lab Substack, we saw the same thing. You can't engage. You can't share. You can't retweet. So you, you can't. I mean, it's, it's obviously an illusion to pretend that, yes, you can still post your links. It's, it's meaningless. If there's no able to share and reach, that's the whole point. So this happened, at least reported on the seventh. Do you know why that happened, or at least the the very obvious trail that happened in the time frame of when this was executed was right after the ADL spoke up and said, "Hey, Substack's bad." Oh yeah, that's right. The ADL that's working with Elon Musk behind the scenes to argue what's good and bad and hate speech. You know, worse actually. That at least, well, let's put it this way. I would be willing to bet the ADL was working with the previous Twitter administration, which is probably just the same damn thing today before this, but it wasn't as obvious today. The ADL, he's, ADL is openly working with them to stop hate speech. <laughs> you know, the, that means not free speech is the point. There's no hate speech laws. And we'll put it this way. Hate speech is not a legal thing. You're allowed to speak hate speech. People don't like it. And I can point that at it and say you're a gross person, but you have that right. They're trying to stop that. And of course, that line will be wherever they want to put it. Suddenly, hate speech becomes anti-vaccine narratives or pointing out what's happening in Ukraine. Hate speech, whatever they want it to be. Bottom line is, ADL says, anti-Semitism, false information, and hate speech. Find a home on Substack. On the third. Less than a week later, boom. Twitter replies. That's the reality of the situation. Nothing different, guys. I mean, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm on the verge. I'm, I feel like people like us are going to start being censored all over again. Why wouldn't they? But here's what Matt said yesterday. Of all things, I learned earlier today. So this is the next day after the interview you just saw. I learned earlier today that Substack links are being blocked on this platform. When I asked why, I was told it's a dispute over the new Substack notes platform. Okay, so the, ar ar the argument, and I'll show you what Elon is saying, is that this is essentially some kind of surreptitious act. Maybe he's right. I don't know. To pull over all the, uh, I'll, I'll use his words when we get to it. The He said they were trying to pull data, essentially, to Substack Notes, which is like a Twitter knockoff. This is what he was arguing. Or maybe, but it would not be new for Elon to say whatever gets him out of the hot spot, right? Matt Taibbi follows by saying, since sharing links to my articles is a primary reason I come to this platform, I was alarmed and asked what was going on. I was given the option of posting articles on Twitter instead. Well, gee. So Twitter's fine. We'll just come over and now just, you know, bring all of it over here because it's all about, you know, that this that is not only uh, disingenuous, but it's pretty, what's the right term for it? It's not sandbagging. You basically, but you, you brought him on with the illusion that this was going to be allowed and then pulled that rug out. And he goes, I'm obviously staying at Substack and we'll be moving to Substack notes next week. Well, I mean, if that's the case, maybe there's truth to what Elon is saying. I don't know. This is what it looks like to not take sides because everybody wants to. Everyone's going to want to jump in and be like, Matt's the honest one and Elon's lying and blah, blah, blah. But what's interesting is yet another split. 30 seconds ago, everybody was on the same page that Matt and Elon and all the rest are all fighting for free speech. Now, suddenly there's a divide. 
sort of a DeSantis Trump divide or an RFK Biden divide. Oh, no, it's happening everywhere. Maybe that's on purpose. Come on, pay attention, guys. Now, here's the point. Here's the point is. Oh, actually, before I even get to that, I found this to be pretty telling. So somebody shared an image of what Elon said, which is right here. And I'll show you next. And of course, I hate that. So why don't you just share the link? I don't know. Why people, I know why people do that. But so I wanted to find it for myself, as always, so you guys can have the source material. But guess what I found out? You can search for just about anybody or anybody on Twitter. I'll just demonstrate very quickly. As I've shown you before, this is an important feature to just, you know, search for anything. So just let's just say hello and search for, see, let's just search for my account and see if it pops up. God, I, I'm sure I've said hello at some point on this platform. Maybe not. <laughs> let's just say injection. Okay. So the point is you can search a platform for a word and it will come up with anything where you use the word injection. And you can see that it even does injections, right? So it's not like it's very, it, it is, there are limitations. Okay. That being said, try it for yourself. It's ubiquitous. But then I thought it was interesting why when I tried to do the same thing for Elon Musk, it didn't work. What do you know? It must be nice to be running the platform and break the algorithm to work for you or whatever you would call this. The bottom line is you apparently can't search Elon Musk's uh, account. Unless this is an anomaly. I tried it multiple times. Let's try it again. We'll see what happens. Let's just try something. I was looking for subst anything Substack related because I was trying to talk about this to Substack. See what happens. Jordan Satchtel, first one to come up. Then it's Hans and not even not even all of these even mention Elon. How does that make sense? Well, it makes sense to me because the person is clearly trying to, you know, limit your ability to comb through what he's doing, which seems very in line with what Musk has done in the past. So just think about that for a minute. This is not honest. We're being played everywhere. And I think the reason is because it makes it harder for you to find these things, which it did take me a second. But here's first what he says. Substack links were never blocked. Matt's statement is false, which if we're being honest about this, it's splitting hairs because yes, you can post the link, but if you can't share it, engage with it or do anything else, then it's not really there. But that's where he's taking a hard line on the facts, right? He's false. Well, you don't really explain why people are going to divide that in all the way they want, all the ways they want. Substack was trying to download a massive portion of the Twitter database to bootstrap their Twitter clone. So their IP address is obviously untrusted. Well, how do we verify that? Is that what happened? I imagine Substack's going to speak up. And if they don't, maybe he's telling the truth. But that doesn't prove that. But in either way, is Matt involved with that? Not to say that he's accusing him of anything, but it seems interesting that you would stop just because they're trying to essentially download the, the database. They could do that without being able to post Substack links, obviously. They could start accounts. They could use all sorts of things. You don't need to be able to post Substack to do what he's saying. So how exactly does stopping Substack achieve that end? It's a good question. Seems like another one of his excuses that don't add up. Like, look, to be very real, remember the conversation about how when he shut it in the beginning, when he claimed his family, uh, it was the, oh, it was the one that was tracking his jet movements, remember? And he claimed it was because his family got attacked. That was a lie. He lied about what happened there. We proved that. Not to say that there wasn't some weird engagement, but that was a manipulation of the reality to make it look like he was the victim. That's the reality, guys. And he can censor me if I'm for saying the truth or my opinion, which would be free speech. But we'll, let's wait and see what happens. But here it says, turns out Matt is, was an employee of Substack. Really? That's a huge claim to make. Obviously, you, the game will be, oh, I was just being facetious that he's working for them because that or did he mean it? This is the problem with this today is people are not going to take that as a joke or they will if they want to. 
Is he arguing that Matt is literally working for Substack and this is some sort of corporate espionage? Or is he saying that he's just, you know, more, you know, that he's leaning towards Substack and so he's working for that? I, I don't know, but that's pretty crazy. Now, it's, what's fierce is funny. Elon Musk's own tweet has some sort of added context. Twitter started making, marking links to Substack as unsafe. Same thing they do with BitChute. They were doing it with TLab for a long time. It's not unsafe, guys. Neither None of them are. They just don't like you going to those platforms. Now, Brett Weinstein, he's responding, says, you know that that thing where the left eats its own? We mustn't let that happen to the emerging Western Values Free Speech Coalition. Come on, Brett. I mean, the, the fact that they, people still think that's what this is, it's depressing. Because I think a lot of these people have good intentions. But if you, I mean, damn it. But, you know, it, maybe it just they're not as jaded as I am. Who knows? But I think we've seen this long enough to realize that. And I think we're seeing this play out right now. That's not what this really was. And we need to see past the psyops of the QAnon Russiagate style. But it says many of us who have backed your Twitter play and taken substantial heat for it are thrown by this move. Yeah. So maybe take a beat and realize that you might have been wrong. Just my opinion. The public square isn't a monopoly. Clearly, Elon doesn't care. He follows up saying, got it. No, after responding and saying that he that the, uh, the, the accusation being some kind of larger point, the insinuation that there's some kind of corporate espionage going on, that suddenly stops the conversation, doesn't it? As he goes, well, ooh, flew, okay, well, please DM me privately. And I agree with Joe's here. Why should that be private? I mean, my God, aren't you just, aren't you the one calling him out and suddenly he gives an excuse? Oh, whoa, let's take this off scene. Really? I kind of agree with that. But he goes, because you want diplomacy to increase the chances of a good outcome. Well, you know what? There's not real diplomacy when you're dealing with psychological operations and, you know, censorship campaigns and manipulation. But, you know, I could be wrong. Personally, I'm not feeling good about where this is. And I don't think I don't think Matt is either as he's leaving. But what does this make you think? Right. If we're suddenly seeing this gigantic split between at least as my, in my opinion, the one of the only. Well, I shouldn't say that. I think Michael Schellenberger is pretty credible. The bottom line is the leading person that's seen as the credible part of what this was. And now he's splitting. That's that's irrelevant, despite what you may think. The point is, that's the perception. Now he's leaving based on something that seems to undermine it all. And now Elon Musk has gone as far as to basically call him an agent of Substack. What is that? How does that flavor everything that's happened so far? Why would we trust Elon or or in that case, Matt Taibbi with what with everything that's come out so far? I mean, come on, guys. It just has to be that obvious today. And Trish Woods points out, Dear Musk and Matt Tidy, can you please pick up the phone and sort this out? Your collaboration is too important, and I'm sick of chasing new platforms. Elon, don't block stuff and kindly tell the boss to stop screwing with my timeline. God, people. Listen, you're you're literally explaining the reality, and you're still going, please, Elon, do what we know you are. Really? I don't get why people are so blind to what they want to be the reality. I mean... If the split just happened and you're realizing that the that the, your timeline's being messed with, the bots are out there, that the everything you're saying is half the truth, and you still come in and go, please, guys, make this work. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand the blind adherence to the hope, right? The hopium that they give. I mean, these people are from the, the top-down level. These platforms, they're not on your side, guys. Now, this person points out the evidence for the Twitter files, documents directly from the source. Not true. But then he says, the evidence for Russiagate, just trust us, okay? After David Frum says, Trump Russia was real. Twitter files were fake. And welcome to the false paradigm. Guess what? Both of these things are fake, guys. Let me say that again. Both of those statements are fake. 
But here we are, where now we're being driven to take a side because, well, David, Trump, bad guy. And we know that he's, we know the Trump-Russia conversation is fake, which it is, regardless of what paradigm side, whatever side you're on, or the reality. It was, a, they were lied, a lied to about. They, the, the, the narrative has been so thoroughly shown to be flimsy at best, if not completely fabricated. And yet that's real. Twitter files are fake. Both of these are fake stories. Well, the Twitter files, first of all, we don't even know we're there. We've got screenshots of things we're told are there. And if, assuming that they're there, well, then that wouldn't be fake, would it? But even if they're not, the information around it has been proven outside of this conversation a hundred different ways. So people like David Frum, the propagandists that they are, are happy to try to make the reality that, that are coming out not through Twitter files, but around it, look fake. Right? You know, we're not censoring people. The FBI is not working with platforms. We're not, you know, gaslighting you for foreign policy and Nazis in Ukraine. No. But Russia was, but Russia gate was real though. I mean, my God, I just can't believe this is still happening, but we need to see that all of this is about division, two-party paradigm manipulation. Both of those statements are fake. Resident Skeptic points out, well, same time, he's not even able to tweet, share, like, whatever, anything coming from T-Lab or Rebunk News. Other people say they were able to, but I'm seeing a lot of comments where they're going, yeah, that's that's happening to me too. And here's one last point. I'm not familiar with the with either of the plot, either of the group or uh, accounts, but this is somebody pointing out that their friend was suspended, which you can see right there, because a German politician who can't handle criticism. Now, the argument, I think down here, I'll show you in a second before I, I'll come back to it. The point is that they're, they, she's being slandered as an anti-Semite, despite being Jewish, which is kind of ridiculous. Which, again, to be clear about what a Semite is, there's also manipulation, seeing how Palestinians are Semites, which is so crazy that obvious fact gets ignored or dismissed or whatever. But to the point, being called an anti-Semite and being censored by Twitter. Is that free speech? Doesn't doesn't exist on Twitter, guys. It's a selective game that's being played. The teeter-totter of the two-party paradigm. And we happen to be on the upswing right now. It's going to swing back around. But uh, it says, here she is, Caroline, so proud of her Stasi tactics. Should I remind everyone that some Germans were really good at in history? The point is, look what it says. You're unable to view this tweet because the account owner limits who can view them, which is what you get when some people protect their tweets, right? So you might go, oh, I'm not going to be able to see it. But guess what? That's not true. The person is not protecting their tweets. You can see right there. They're not protected. So why is Twitter lying about that? It must be a glitch, right? Maybe. Well, guess what? This is the person's tweet. This is the German politician who literally said, Twitter, censor this person for attacking me. They did. Now, I don't, I can't read German. You can read these for yourself and look and, and tell me whether these are crossing the line or whatever you think. I, frankly, like one thing I noticed, apparently she's calling this person a pedophile. Now, you could argue that under the not absolute free speech Twitter, that that would be something they think is crossing the line. I've never said that. The, I mean, the point was clearly that they've always had limits on speech on Twitter, even today. So the question is not about whether it's appropriate or crossing the line. The question is about absolute free speech or not. Did you get what was promised or not? And then, of course, the follow-up to this is weirdly being covered up as well, where you, oh, well, you can't even see what they're actually saying. Oh, yeah, it's right here even though that's supposed to be able to be seen. Now, here's Dr. Simon Goodeck pointing out, which, by the way, he made this really great thread of all these COVID heroes with these really cool graphics <laughs> like that I wasn't included in. I want, I, I, not that I expect to be included in all the you know, coverage, but I want to see my picture that he would make. So somebody tagged me. I'd like to see him do that. So reach out to him. Say, hey, make one for Ryan. Because I love those. Uh, like somebody made one of those 
um, action figure things with my face on it. It was looked like a COVID warrior or whatever. I thought that was super cool. Anyway, he chimes in and says, hello, Elon Musk. And um, this person, whatever her name was again, um, Efrat uh, Fangson saying, I wanted to bring to your attention the actions of a German politician, the same one that just got this person censored. What were they doing? Well, they've been discriminating against unvaccinated people and attacking people for, uh, and well, now she's accused a Jewish user of being an anti-Semite. The point is people can see what this person's been doing and Twitter has taken a side. So seemingly both of them are being, well, uh, let's put it this way. From the perception of the way she's being framed, which I'm not sure I can, I don't know. I can't see what's actually being said. They're arguing that she is, you know, bullying, whatever else. Accuse, you know, attacking her for her faith or whatever. But then you can also show that so too is the German politician. So Twitter shows a side. Are you surprised? You shouldn't be. It's as just as obvious as it always was. Now, in the conversation of Ukraine, to make a quick overlap here, let's not forget that Elon Musk is the very same person who is working, is a military contractor. He's working on micro RNA plants around the world. He's also working on the brain machine interface. Every single part of the Great Reset he's actually spoken out about in support. Well, this was from... Uh, where was the date on here? Oops. June, let's see. It was February 9th, 2023. We, we already talked about this. SpaceX speaks up and says, well, we want to hold, you know, curb the use of Starlink for drones because of issue. We didn't know it was going to be used for military, which it's, I mean, really, I don't know if anybody actually took that at face value. Obviously, the military contractor that is Elon Musk would have been aware of the possible uses, but who knows what the narrative breakdown was here. Over, overall, he said, whoa, 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 I don't, I don't want to be seen to be supporting Nazis in Ukraine, so pump the brakes. However, that doesn't seem to be what is ultimately happening. As of April 5th, it says U.S. mobilizes big tech, including Starlink, in Ukraine war. So, they're still in discussions with Elon Musk about how this is going to go forward to the point to where they're saying, well, we're, we're just going to get pe the Pentagon to foot the bill. So it's not really about caring about the bad things and army Nazis. It's just about the money. I, I, who knows? Either way, I don't buy it for a second. I think this has never really stopped, to be quite honest. And I think it's continuing. And I think even here's a Polish uh, um, satellite website that's basically arguing that Ukraine has partnered with Starlink. Now, you can read for yourself. This is post April 6th. Nothing else seems to be saying that. So it could just be Polish misinformation, or it could be somehow they have the inside word that they are partnering with Ukraine, which wouldn't surprise me. In any case, it's not hard to see. This is not what it looks like to be on, you know, what are the, whatever side you think he's on. U.S. lawmakers, as of the 8th today, discuss bringing Starlink into Taiwan. Hooray for freedom, right? Taiwan, you know, the, the, the other gigantic red line the U.S. government is openly crossing and acting like nothing's being done, right? Even though Taiwan has not, you know, declared independence or gone through the proper channels, they just, the U.S. speaks for them, apparently, and says, they're independent, we said so, shut up. But over there, where they've gone through referendums and voted, that's fake news, you can't be independent because we don't like it. In any example you want to point out, whether it's Donbass or anywhere else, that happens. But freedom, though. Apparently, we're all being played. Musk's Twitter downranks Twitter spaces if they talk about Ukraine crisis. Well, what do you know? Maybe he does take a side. This is pretty interesting to me. Apparently, it says they don't. Uh, uh, where was it? The, the algorithm is paying particular attention to the ongoing war in Ukraine. Now, this is all coming again from the release of the partial source code, which it seems that nobody out there 
that is like on the side of, you know, Twitter, Elon Musk saving free speech is even pointing this stuff out. Apparently, I've seen at least three or four things that from what they released, that looks very concerning, including the fact that apparently they still have a backdoor for the government. Why doesn't that matter? Is that supposed to be something they're working on? <laughs> I mean, really? We're still working out the bugs over here. We give us 14 years. Maybe we'll get past it. According to the analysis of Twitter source code, the site makes specific mention of Twitter spaces that reference the Ukraine crisis. It says it's unclear how Twitter polices, I think that's what it's meant to say, polices speech about Ukraine and post. It doesn't make sense to say unclear how Twitter policies speech about Ukraine and post. But it says the platform's specific mention of Ukraine follows Musk's previous statements that he fears escalation could bring about World War III. But yet he's still working on a deal to use Starlink, but it's okay though. But going forward, it says misinformation is highly downranked, which of course is what they decide is misinformation. Anything that is categorized as misinformation gets the rug pulled out. Surprisingly so, posts about Ukraine. Now, why would that be? Why would Twitter suppress information about you? You know why? Because in my opinion, it is the most obvious example. I mean, you can see the videos they're posting. You can literally watch what these people post on their own Telegram channels about killing people in Donbass, about trying to spread the white race around the world. These are the people that the U.S. government and the West are supporting openly, along with Israel, too. That's why, I would argue, because it's so clearly, plainly, on the surface obvious what these people really are. Can't have that getting out, because there's an agenda playing out. That's my opinion, obviously. But it's saying, upon further investigation, he and his fellows looked into the Twitter code and found that it only applies to Twitter spaces. The platform's live meeting feature, it remains unclear how exactly you moderate those. Though the site does say all users have host, um, that wasn't the one, hosts have to follow Twitter policies. Before he published the code, he tweeted that even his own team does not fully understand the algorithms. Well, that's an easy cop-out. Maybe he's telling the truth. And that, quote, people will discover many silly things, but will patch issues as soon as they're found out. How much you want to bet that doesn't change? Is that an issue? I mean, are we really going to pretend that that was something from old Twitter? You know, back before this was happening? Yeah, that makes sense, right? I mean, I just it doesn't really ring true to me, to be honest. But in any case, the bottom line is there is suppression. There is censorship still happening. We all see that if we're being honest with ourselves. Now, Sal the Agris points out a really humorous tweet that's, you know, macabrely humorous because it's true in regard to where the, the Ukraine side of the conversation is, you know, as we're as we people have been discussing that Russia is now going to be essentially the running the council, the U.N. Security Council. And the argument is, well, don't doesn't matter. Don't worry. Russia's not going to be able to do anything. And so here's the meme, which is a great point to make. Russia runs the U.N. Security Council this month. You must do something about it, says people in Ukraine, or rather Ukraine supporters. And the United Nations says, don't worry, there's nothing Russia can do at the head of the U.N. Security Council. And the person says, so the U.N. Security Council does nothing? <laughs> Crickets. Yeah, it's called a toothless tiger. And the whole point is, it's about the illusion of process. That doesn't mean it couldn't be something, but that's why when you have people like Israel and the United States, including Russia and uh was the other group i was just talking about the bottom line is powers that have veto ability over everybody else that's stupid the only reason that's put in is to control the process but if that's the case well the security council doesn't really achieve much when you have p like this we we have the reality of most everybody voting against something but then you've got israel and the united states vetoing it does that sound like an international process it shouldn't because it's not but that's how this works the illusion well, here is Ukraine still today, as it was of the 4th, but continuing to shell Donetsk. 
city market, coffee shops, houses, cars, roads, etc. No one, there's no arguing this is Russia. Okay. It's easily verifiable where these are coming from and what's happening. And that's why you don't hear about it. That's why you don't hear a fact check about why they're lying about this, because it's easy to prove. And you've got countless independent journalists and other countries pointing this out. You cut, you repeatedly hear uh, representatives of Scotland called this out. You repeatedly hear people around the world stand up and say, you're being lied to. That's why you hear crickets, because if you draw attention to it, it's undeniable. But that's what you're seeing, guys. This is horrifying. This is what it's like to live in the area that they're that the Ukrainian military is pretending they want to fight for and protect. They're murdering them, just like they have been for decades or dec- a decade plus, because the point is it's easily verifiable. And even the corporate media is reporting about what they were doing in this area long before we got here. That's how stupid that they think you are. They're wrong. And that's why they're losing. In regard to the corporate media, I would argue, I'm, I'm, my point is... But decentral intelligence makes a great point, and this is something we played many times for you. I'm not going to play the full video again. I played it a hundred times over, which is the full video of Victoria Newland, and I'm forgetting the other guy's name, discussing at length who will be put in positions in the Ukrainian government after their illegal coup. And the point was that it's also discussed between the Estonian Prime Prime Minister and the Foreign uh, Secretary Chief, Kathy Ashton, I believe, discussing this on the phone and admitting that, yes, we know that we lied about what happened at the Maidan Square, that this was our people on our side that killed them and we're covering it up. That's the reality of the situation. Maybe I'll play it. Let's play this first. 2014, Victoria Newland was caught secretly deciding who's going to get in next. This video has other parts that I think are important, too. We, of course, never choose candidates in any country. Uh, But what we do do in countries that proclaim to be democracies is we offer... Um, the opportunity for uh, candidates of all kinds to, to learn how to, um, to, to put themselves forward to best, to best effect. I mean, who actually buys this stuff? It's on the record, you understand. Like, if you don't know this, it's openly on the record that this stuff has happened and is still happening. And that she, people like this will just stand up and just blatantly lie because, you know, maybe they'll get a few people to, to believe it. Remember this? With this orc-looking gentleman here talking about how, you know, yeah, we maybe we do it, it's necessary. So how do you put those two statements together? If she says they don't do it and he says this. Have we ever tried to meddle in other countries' elections? Oh, probably. We, we don't do CIA. that now, though. We don't mess around other people's well, elections, Jim. Mm, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're all good buddies here at MSNBC and the CIA. Ah, that's so humorous. Yeah, we like to destroy countries. (laughs) Great people there, aren't they? The bottom line is it's obvious and everybody knows it except the mindless people that follow along with what they're told. And they hope that they get some people with these statements. So they put Victoria Newland out there with their dead eyes and saying, we don't do it. We know, you know, we do. And we we do know. So they just that that speaks to desperation, right? It has they are lying in the face of absolute awareness, because what else are they going to do? Things are shifting, and I think they're well aware of that. Only for a very good Can cause. Can you do that? I think, only yeah. for a very good cause. So the answer is yes, by the way, and not for a good cause. Ask Libya, Afghanistan, Iraq, or Syria, or Bolivia, or Venezuela. Ask all of them, and they'll tell you the reality. Because the U.S. government is batting a thousand when it comes to screaming freedom and then destroying countries. This is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's, he's the guy, you know, what he needs is Cleach and Tony Book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week, you know. 
I, I, I just think Klitsch going in, he's going to be at that level working for Yatsenyuk. It's just not going to work. Um, we, of course, never choose candidates in any country. We offer um, the opportunity for uh, candidates of all kinds to, to learn how to, um, to, to put themselves forward to best, to best effect. And we always support the right of peaceful political protest in any country. Of course, because... On February 20th of 2013, the world was shocked by video footage of snipers firing on protesters in Kiev, Ukraine. 21 people were murdered, and it was widely assumed that President Viktor Yanukovych and his supporters were behind the attacks. However, a phone conversation between EU foreign policy chief Kathy Ashton and Estonia's foreign minister Urmas Payet, which was leaked to the public on March 5th, reveals that the snipers were actually from the new coalition government, and that Western diplomats knew this and covered it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that he has some sort of, how to say, trust among all these Maidan people and, and civil society. And second, what was quite disturbing, the same Olga told that, well, all the evidence shows uh, that people who were killed by snipers from both sides, among policemen and, and people from the streets, that they were the same snipers killing people from both sides. Well, that, yeah. So that, and then she also showed me some photos. Uh, she said that has medical doctor. She can, you know, say that it is the same, same handwriting, the same type of bullets. And it's really disturbing that now the new, uh, new coalition that they don't want to investigate what exactly happened. So that there is now stronger and stronger understanding that behind snipers, they were, it was not Yanukovych, but it was somebody from the new coalition. For some reason, the U.S. media didn't think that that little detail was worth covering. But wait, I thought the opposition protesters were just peaceful activists who wanted a chance to join the European Union. Well, yeah, that's the official narrative that the U.S. media outlets are peddling. But the real story is far more ominous. It turns out that the most powerful and influential contingent in the opposition is a coalition of literal fascists and neo-Nazis. And they aren't peaceful. In fact, they're extremely brutal. This is a picture of Victoria Newland from the U.S. State Department meeting with Ole Tanibok in February. And this is a picture of Senator John McCain sharing a stage with Tanibok in December. But why would the U.S. government work with neo-Nazis? Because they thought that they could control the situation. They thought that they could install their puppets behind the scenes and manipulate the situation in their favor. That same Victoria Newland who met with Svoboda in February was caught on another leaked call discussing who they would put in power. What do you think? Uh, I think we're in play. Um... The, the uh, Klitschko piece is obviously the complicated electron here, um, especially the announcement of him as Deputy Prime Minister. And, and you've seen some of my notes on the troubles in the marriage right now, so we're trying to get a read really fast on where he is on this stuff. But I think your argument to him, which you'll need to make, I think that's the next phone call we want to set up, is exactly the one you made to, to Yacht. And I, I'm glad you sort of put him on the spot on where he fits in this scenario. And I'm very glad he said what he said in response. Good. So uh, I don't think Cleet should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you think in terms of him not going into the government, just let him sort of stay out and do his political homework and stuff. I'm just thinking in terms of sort of the process moving ahead, we want to keep the moderate Democrats together. The problem is going to be Tony Book and his guys. And, you know, I'm sure that's part of what Yanukovych is calculating on all of this. Um, I, I, kinda... I, I, I think Yats... 
Yeah, the bottom line is, guys, it's very obvious that that conversation is being, it's about setting the stage, not working through the democratic process. And everybody knows that. Everybody. The crazy part of, even in the context, even that, that clip, people go, oh, you're taken out of context. No, no, you just don't care to see the reality. Now, I'm not sure why some people are arguing that this was on Fox News. I'm just going to make that clear real quickly that this is definitely MSNBC. I just want to make that clear. Somebody was saying it was on Fox. But the point is to continue. That this is something that has been created. Two years later, we never put candidates in any country. I mean, seriously, you're not, are, we gonna, are we just going to pretend we're not talking about what happened in Bolivia or any other numerous examples of people around the world that have been put in their positions after a coup? I mean, it's just kind of silly. Like they really think we're that stupid or they just don't have any other choice. Probably both. But in regard to Israel, who is also openly supporting the neo-Nazis in Ukraine, which makes no sense. And what I always like, I think it's important to always point out. Uh, what was the actual report? Let's see. Right there, popped up. You know, in 2018, before all this kicked off, rights group demand Israel stop arming neo-Nazis in Ukraine. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. So we, and they're talking about the Azov militia, Azov battalion. The point is that they're openly arming these groups. Now, Israel, if you have been noticing, has been openly engaging in and really creating this active conflict right now on the ground with a lot of different moving parts. And we're talking about Lebanon, Gaza. I know we have all these different conversations popping up, and now it's it's seemingly spinning out of control. Oh, I didn't include it. But the point is we now, oh, this right here in general. I thought I had the clip. Oh, it was on the last show. Israeli jets bomb Lebanon and Gaza after rocket attacks. Robert's working on something to follow up on it right now. And we'll probably put that out possibly today or tomorrow. But this is this situation is out of control. Why does Israel think it has the right to continually carry out illegal attacks on countries because they say what they think is happening? Now, just talking about Gaza in particular, it's an occupied territory. But this is this is potentially spinning out of control in, a, in to the detriment of Israel's government. But we'll come back to it, especially when Robert follows up. But I wanted to let, leave this article with you in general so you could see what just happened at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is still continuing. As of today, I'm seeing reports about Palestinians being shot, all sorts of things spinning out of control. And here it says Israeli settlers are attacking Palestinian cars in front of the Israeli police and army. No one will be accountable. This happens every single day. Every single day, guys. We need to realize what's really going on here. What they're capable of. Next, I want to finish off really quickly a part about East Palestine. Just because I want to really reiterate what what this is covering up, what the real story is behind this. At the very least, that people are still sick right now after everything we just saw. This is talking about vinyl chloride in the woman's urine, which I talked about. Here's the article if you want to read it. And this, this is right now. In her urine, they're detecting vinyl chloride. At the same time, the EPA comes out and says, oh, a bunch of fake news, misinformation swirling around about that place. And the Guardian says, oh, it's far above the safe limit as they gaslight down and and lie. The CDC shows up and seven of them get sick. And the CNN goes, whoa, maybe it was fatigue. I mean, it's just kind of pathetic, isn't it? 
And fine, let's play this. And then let's play this clip. And this is what I want to get to again, not to rush past it, but really listen to what he's saying here, that they're finding exactly the opposite of what they're telling you to this very day. I've seen families still dealing with the mess left behind from a derailment two months ago. Some of them have been reporting health concerns. In a story you'll see on Just One Station, Kelly Kennedy takes us inside some of the testing being done to figure out what could be causing people to feel sick. The Murphy family has lived at this home in East Palestine for the past 22 years. They have a farm, their family's here, they didn't plan on moving, but now because of this toxic train derailment, they just might. Their family's been sick, even their horses have been sick. So they had some independent testing done to try to figure out what's really going on. Norfolk Southern, your train may have crashed, but that derailed my life. After two months of living in fear and uncertainty, the Murphys are desperate. It's like prying teeth. We just can't get answers. My vision is blurry. Um, I have almost like cognitive issues where I can't remember stuff. I had a lot of shortness of breath, throat issues. Linda Murphy needed answers, so she went to the doctor. That's when she learned she had vinyl chloride in her urine. According to the CDC, if you ingest vinyl chloride, it should be out of your system within 24 hours. I'd like to know what it means to Norfolk. What does that mean to you, what you did to me? Since Linda and Russell Murphy live more than two miles away from the derailment site, they didn't qualify for testing. But after two months of unexplained medical symptoms, they called in Scott Smith, chief sustainability officer at Eco Integrated Technologies, to do some independent testing. We have found the presence of a broad spectrum of dioxins and other benzene-related chemicals that are typical of oil spills. I met Smith at an EPA resource fair last month. Since the derailment, he's done testing at at least 20 homes. Smith has been in more than 60 disasters. He's working with the EPA and sharing his data. The gutter is a great place to test. The EPA has done some soil testing too. While they did report finding dioxins, they said the levels were low enough that there was no reason to restrict activities. But that's not what Smith's team tells him. Why do you think the EPA is saying, based off their testing, everything's safe, yet your testing is telling a completely different story? My testing is about the presence of the dangerous chemicals. I have a great expert team around me of toxicologists, of OSHA experts, and uh, they are coming back and saying these, these are the mere presence of these chemicals is, is a concern. You can't find what you don't look for, and you need to be thorough. And you need to be testing furnace filters, too. A month ago, CDC scientists studying the health impacts in East Palestine got sick, reporting symptoms consistent with what residents have been reporting. Seven out of the 15 got ill, and they go home, and they get better. We stay and get worse. Smith says he should have the Murphy's test results back in the next 10 to 30 days, and he promised to share them exclusively with 19 News. We'll keep you updated as soon as we get them. The fact that it can be that different, the contrast can be so obvious. I mean, just think about the level of gaslighting here. This is the equivalent of people taking these injections and dying immediately and people going, well, we don't know, which certainly you can say that we don't know for sure. But the fact that we ignore the possibility that it could have been the thing they just took, this is the, the symptoms align with what they tell you is there from multiple angles.
The symptoms are consistent among everybody in the area. The symptoms are consistent with what the CDC, half of their team came down with simultaneously. How in the world do you pretend that's not relevant? Then you've got three separate independent testings finding the same problem. And all we're going to say is, no, no, EPA said you're fine. I almost can't understand that. I really, even with what's going on today, can you actually believe that's happening? And of course, the real point is to remember that what they're actually saying in regard to dioxins is that the level of cancer-causing chemical are similar to typical background levels. Now, that doesn't mean safe. That's how they're framing it from the corporate media. But if we to what you just heard, there is no safe level. That's an arbitrary number set by the EPA, despite years of realizing that it's been past that. So they obviously don't care anyway. If you can prove they knew it was past that level 10 years ago in most every place in this country, including places that this affects outside of our country, we did the entire coverage of the Inuit village in the Arctic. Think about how far away that is, who have the highest concentration of dioxins anywhere because of the way the wind brings these things away from airliners in the United, and stuff from the United States. It's been proven via peer-reviewed study. There's not a location within 500 kilometers of these Inuit tribe, the, you know, people call Eskimos. Inuit is the appropriate name for where they are. Within 500 kilometers, there's nowhere that even produces dioxins. But yet they have the highest concentration and it's actually in their breast milk. You can test it. How are we going to pretend that that is not, that we are, we're not worried that it's going to drift more than a two miles in this Ohio area when we can prove that's what's happening. We can prove what they burn causes dioxins. And then we can realize when they say similar to the background level, all they're really saying is, yeah, we know there's been a deadly problem this whole time that we've been hiding from you. And all we're going to conflate, we're going to say, oh, it's the same as it's always been. You're going to ignore it now? What about PFAS? What about the rest of it? Oh, they all suddenly seem like they care. This is staggering. The gap between statements from the EPA and data shared with the public has been a source of frustration. Right, so they keep going. It's coming next week. This was written on the March 28th. Right. The, the available are coming in weeks, in the coming weeks. Well, not here yet. I'm willing to bet you that it won't come at all. That's my opinion. I find it outrageous. The EPA makes statements like this without proving any data to support it. Yeah. What they're basically saying is that they know that this is safe without actually proving that and just going, well, trust us because we know. Do they? I think I think what they've proven so far. Oh, that's weird. I think what they've proven so far is that they're well aware that there's a problem. They just don't want you to know. Right. That's the ultimate reality. And everything they're showing is very clear. Sampling and testing for dioxins is expensive and lengthy process. Probably one of the reasons they don't want to do it. I think it's much bigger than that. Dioxins don't break down quickly. They tend to accumulate in food chains in basically your fat bioaccumulation, both in the animals and you. The sampling plan requires them to inspect two, at least 277 sites within two miles. Two miles! What about three? What about 500 kilometers? Nah, fake news. The sites with visible ash were to be sampled. But we know this goes much further than visible ash and how that plays. That's how crazy this is. Pardon me for my pup that hears something. Critics argue the soil sampling plan should be geographically broader. I mean, realize these are experts like Scott on the ground who are saying they're lying, they're wrong, we're finding it, and they just disregard it. Hmm. 
Very, very clear this is happening. I want you to check out these last couple articles in regard to specifically clean harbors. That's both of these that we're talking about. You can listen to the calls yourself where I call and they make it clear that where this is going is not appropriate. They don't have incinerators. They don't have the ability to deal with the accents or PFAS. And yet, ever since this started, they've been sending them to specifically locations that cannot deal with that. It's, I mean, it's easily provable and there's nothing happening. Clean Harbor's waste disposal, Ohio scandal. Right? I'm just, I'm hoping that somebody who cares enough to have a larger chance, point this out, right? Make it a breaking story. It's been here the whole time and it's obvious and we've proven this, but it seems to stall because, you know, who knows why? It's, you know, it's like pointing out the same things over and over and over for three years until it gets talked about by the right person and suddenly everybody's talking about how that works shows you the controlled flow of information. But, more than just the Ohio scandal, we know we're being poisoned and manipulated and lied to about damn near everything under the sun today, right? Well, Ben Swan points something very interesting out, and this aligns with the same concept of the background problem, right? I can already prove to you, one of the examples is, we already know that it, whether it's Norfolk, Norfolk or not, there are tr- they're already discussing how they can use the train, ra- the railway, to ship this stuff out. So great, you're going to pay the same companies that are involved with this to to be a part of the, you're benefiting from the problem you created, right? Well, here's the same example of that. Ben Swan tweeted, Pfizer just purchased, uh, I think it's Arena Pharmaceuticals, a company known for making drugs to treat heart conditions like myocarditis and pericarditis. Arena is also developing two new cardiovascular assets, both for heart problems. Think about how ridiculous that is. Something that we can prove, whether you think it's 1% or 99 however the, re- the, the prevalence very clearly can cause heart problems. So it doesn't matter how, what the, I mean, it matters, but ultimately, regardless of the percentage of, of the problem, you're still benefiting, benefiting by something that you're adding to, if not completely creating. That's crazy. Then on top of that, this is three days ago, heart attack risk may skyrocket by eight times. For those with this hidden ailment that we can't define, that we're not sure about, but it's definitely not the thing that causes heart attacks. My God. Well, guess what? Just like Narcan and the same companies that push the whole opioid crisis are profiting from the treatment of it. It's the same game, guys. This is this is government control 101. But the point here is not just about the health issue, but the way that they're driving you in. Well, I, mean, I guess it all is really about health control, but even when it comes to psychological factors. Or in this case, we're talking about psychosocial factors. But my important, the point that I really want to make here is we're now having two different studies that point out the clear point that SARS-CoV-2 is not the cause, or at least largely not the cause behind what they're calling long COVID. Now, everyone, even in the, in the Twitter conversation, everybody's trying to point out different. This is not correct. And this is not the same thing, which I'm, I'll get into a little bit. The bottom line is the point is Long COVID, based on these two peer-reviewed studies, is not caused in large part by what they'll tell you it's caused by. Why that's not the gigantic headline to some of these people kind of speaks volumes. But as Wittgenstein points out, they conclude that long COVID is, uh, is, is predicated by initial symptom severity and intriguingly psychosocial factors. Now, we've talked about this a lot. I just posted this. Another peer-reviewed study just found that long COVID is largely psychosomatic, not real. Now, a lot of people are taking issue with the term. Let me explain to you why I use that for two reasons. But the newest study 
finds that long COVID, and this is where I cite the new study, understand, the newest study finds that long COVID is associated with factors other than SARS-CoV-2 infection, including psychosocial factors, which is only one of them, right? With factors other than SARS-CoV-2 is the point, though. That's all that really matters that they're, we've been lied to. Not only is long COVID seemingly something that's completely illusion, illusory, but ultimately, even if it's real, it's not being caused by what they're telling it's caused by. Therefore, it's not long COVID. Now, on top of that, you could point out a lot of research that I put off today in regard to how this is a common thing. We've all talked about the, the whether it, it is not even really indicative of the kind of infection, just simply when your body fights an infection, you can have these kind of lasting issues that go away but that are not in, they're not because COVID or because the flu or because anything else and ultimately are not the kind of thing that lasts two, three, four months or forever. We know we can prove that this in some way is being conflated with what masks are causing for people's bodies, the, the, immune, dysreg- the immune system problems, the, the immune system collapse, the suppression, but on top of that, the injection with lymphocytopenia and the, and the immune dysregulation. These are all peer-reviewed study findings. The bottom line is, that these things are creating a situation where you're basically prone to sickness continually. Now, that's that's just on the immune dysregulation part of it. But then we also know that the way this is working with the IgG4 versus 3 concept, which I'm going to follow up on again, by the way, is a great new research from Ivor. Uh, shoot, I'm blanking on his name off the top of my head. But if we're going to follow up on the IgG4 conversation, the point is it creates a situation where these people are basically you know, mildly sick forever. It's, just, it's kind of staggering how obvious all this is. Now, the point, though, again, not caused by SARS-CoV-2. But I, I follow up and I say, here's the one I've been trying to draw attention to since November, which specifically talks about psychosomatic. But the point I included was for all the assumers out there, both studies posted, one in the subsequent tweet that I just showed you, fall under the general concept of psychology. And SARS-CoV-2 is not the long cause of long COVID. I am well aware of the difference between the words, as I've explained before. We've talked about this. But just so it's clear, a psychosomatic disorder is a disease which involves both mind and body. I think we all generally know what this is, right? It, ultimately, it's, it's, it's imaginary for the most part. There's, there's, much, there's much more nuance to the conversation, but that's basically what we're talking about. It's in your mind, right? Whereas psychosocial factors refer to individual level processes and meanings that influence mental states as well as the relationship between psychological factors in the physical body so yes they're different obviously the ultimate point is about the psychological factor which is ultimately what i was getting at now here is psychological versus psychosocial as it simply says psychology psychological of or pertaining to psychology psychosocial having both psychological and social aspects, which is the whole point because the study is ultimately finding that based on your social interactions, that influences how you perceive the problem. Yeah, so we can debate all day long that you could argue that me saying psychosomatic is is not appropriate, even though, as I just showed you, psychosomatic is simply involving a mind and body. Maybe you can dispute the disease part of it, but ultimately we're talking about the same thing. And why people then go out of their way over the process of the whole day to try to argue that that's the crux of the point, in my opinion, reveals that they don't want to acknowledge the real point, which is that neither of them are associated with SARS-CoV-2, well, in in large part. So let's look at this really quickly. 
March 30th, 2023. Prevalence and characteristics associated with post-COVID-19 condition among non-hospitalized adolescents and young, and young adults. Now, read the whole thing. I think it's important. Post-COVID-19 condition, PCC, which is long COVID, I guess. Now, all that really means is people who have certain symptoms after a certain period of time after arguably having infection, which is the biggest point that they're making here in a lot of this conversation is that people are being told they have COVID when all it really is is a PCR test, which is rife with false positives. They call it asymptomatic. And then whatever happens forever in the rest of their life becomes long COVID. That's not even a joke that people can be sick a year later, six months later. And some of these definitions, as long as they meet the criteria of COVID symptoms, which is literally everything then you become a long COVID case. But as it says, PCC or long COVID was not associated with biological markers specific to viral infection. Seems pretty clear to me. But with initial symptom severity and psychosocial factors. So the initial severity point of it is talking about that the people that have, you know, a higher, a more severe case could have a lasting, more of a lasting problem. Now, we're not disputing that people can have what we just pointed out in the beginning, that people can have an infection of any kind and have lasting issues, but this is not something that goes on forever. Even they would argue this whole long COVID time frame is unique to COVID, the fact that it can last six months to a year or whatever they keep saying. Now, my point is that's not new, unique. It's just simply an illusion. Down here, it says the persistent symptoms and disability that characterize PCC are associated with factors other than SARS-CoV-2 infection, including psychosocial factors, which again, were wherever that one tweet was. Oh, I went upon this one. Individual level processes and meanings that influence mental states. Right. So if we're talking about a psychosomatic problem, which is about psychology, couldn't you argue that falls under the under the category of something that would then if you then have some kind of illusory issue that then is being influenced by social factors in your life? Right. People are just being are trying to split hairs in a situation where they're trying to undermine a point that I think makes them uncomfortable. That's my opinion. I think that was all I highlighted here. But then, of course, the main, the other point, which is why I even use that term, is because that's what we're getting out of this one. Self-reported COVID-19 infection. What it's saying, as I've shown you many times before, I'll just read the main conclusion. It's a little more fleshed out. It says, the results of this cross-sectional analysis of large population-based French cohorts suggest that physical symptoms persisting 10 to 12 months after COVID-19 pandemic first wave may be associated more with the belief in having experienced COVID than actually being infected with SARS-CoV-2. That's psychosomatic. That's what that means. That you, that you are believing you have it because of maybe social factors, maybe because of propaganda on TV, maybe because you talk to your friends, maybe because of any number of things. Either way, can we all agree what they're finding? Both these peer-reviewed high-level studies on JAMA Network, and I believe, yeah, JAMA Network as well, that this is not being caused because of some infection of SARS-CoV-2, if that's even what we're talking about. It's amazing that that point can be skipped over in the effort to argue that I'm somehow misunderstanding words, which is what was happening today. But either way, I think it's obvious that all of this is falling apart. Here's what the Vigilant Fox pointed out, which again, this is how clear this has gotten. Dr. McCullough says, worse than a war. 250,000 Americans have almost certainly lost their lives due to the injection. Now, I'm actually trying to get somebody on for an interview who just had a study retracted that we've actually talked about against his wishes 
about the, one of the same arguments that essentially almost 280,000 people logically put, you know, not that we know for sure, but estimation is that many people could have died based on the reports being talked about by people on in their experiences. Now, what's amazing to me is that you they could, all day long, people in studies and elsewhere can estimate in the direction of anything positive about the injection. Like we saw these studies coming out saying they could save your life, make you live longer, stop other illnesses from being as severe. All of those were argued. None of them were attracted, despite how garbage they were. In this case, the study is actually arguing based on the estimates and the reporting polls we did. This is the estimated number that could be in, in the case of the vaccine problem or you know, deaths caused by it and so on. Just because that doesn't, they don't like that estimation doesn't mean it's not a valid estimation based on the same metrics that anybody else would estimate in the other directions that are positive, which are allowed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up on that. It was Catherine Austin Fizz put it in front of me. I really, I'm going to talk with the, hopefully the actual author of the study. But that's what he's citing here. The estimates is this stunning that almost 280,000 Americans estimated in the first year, just the first year of the program. Staggering. I is the problem. This paper from Columbia University estimated in the first year of the pandemic using vaccine administration data, 146 to 187,000 Americans have died of the vaccine. Stunning. This paper from University of Michigan, Mark Skidmore, where the mean age of death in this study. That's, that's him right there, Mark Skidmore. I'm going to try to get him on the show. I, I'm not, I, haven't, not, I, haven't, I don't know whether it's going to happen or not, but I'm going to try. Because this is actually really crazy. Like we talked about, Malone, Robert Malone pointed this out early on, that this is unprecedented. Before COVID-19 and the illusion they're in, this, it, there, it never had happened before where the editorial team gets petitioned by somebody or some individual then decides because of that petitioning that they're going to reestablish a secondary peer review process. So it's been peer reviewed. It's gone through the process. Then they go, oh, that guy doesn't like it or this group doesn't like it. So we're going to go through and, and based on their directed points, we're going to reevaluate this as the editorial team. And then at the, at the, against the wishes of the team and the other peer review process, they're going to pull it. That's happened already numerous times. It's actually wild. And when you read the studies themselves, it's very clear why. And you can point out an endless, you realize that there's these articles in like the Lancet, for example, about the lab leak and so on. These are, the, there's been entire bodies around the world, multiple high level scientists signing petitions saying that they should be retracting these and they're not. So the whole process is broken. Like, and this is why we said from the beginning that just because it's peer reviewed doesn't mean you blindly trust it. That's not what I've ever done and not what I'm doing now. But peer reviewed science, because of the argument made by the trust the science crowd, is supposed to be absolute according to them. So now it's really entertaining in a very macabre way that they're now going, oh, no, not that peer review. Those people we don't like. I guess imagining that there's some kind of like McCullough and his team got together. That's not how this works. Those people don't understand the process. It is a peer review process of people that the, the team, the study people don't get to choose who peer review these things. The problem is that they don't understand that. And the bottom line is that the peer review process is then circumvented because it did go through the process and it was approved and they just decide against it. 48, 48 years, people 48 years old is, I mean, the estimates, this is stunning, 278,000 Americans estimated in the first year of the, of the vaccine program. The first year, we have a second year now. A quarter million Americans almost certainly have lost their lives or had their lives shortened due to this mass vaccination program, which is still being promoted by our government agencies as safe and effective. This is 2023, guys. I mean, it's, it, think about that. 
safe and effective. Even with what they've admitted, by definition, you can't call that safe and effective. This is worse than a war, and it's a war that we're doing to ourselves via inoculation. Rasmussen report over the holidays. One in four Americans think they know somebody who's died of the vaccines. It's all fits together. It's all cohesive. Australia now. 18,000 excess deaths from your stable baseline in the pandemic years. And this is just up to September of 2022. We have now another full quarter. And you realize that none of them have argued anything they can prove about why there's such a consistent increase in excess death in every country that has a high vaccination rate. They just they just go, well, it's probably covid, except that literally makes no sense because it's perfectly correlated with high vaccination rates. And the places that don't have that weirdly don't have a high. It's, it's the same way they ignored Sweden all throughout the pandemic because it showed you they were lying. Death. In Australia, the United States, and developed countries is always known. It's 40% heart disease, 40% cancer, and 20% other causes, which are known. Motor vehicle accidents, suicide, drug overdose. It's always known. Now the biggest category of death in all of these reports is unknown. Wow. That's a good way to frame that, too. Think about that. And, and they just, then they're just seemingly okay with that? Like, there's no high-level efforts to kind of suss this out, is there? They're happy just to go, probably COVID. How do you not see that as dishonest? Even if you think it is COVID, shouldn't they prove that? You may think they have, but they haven't. Craig Kelly points out, again, this is terrifying. Week ending March 24th. England excess death up 12.7%. Wales, 15.3%. After This is all after being saved by the injection, right? Like, even if they claim it's COVID... That doesn't that then mean the injection isn't working? Oh, it's because the unvaccinated. Like it will swing through all these excuses, and every time we can go, oh, but it's not though. Here is how we can prove that. Oh, but that's because the variants changed because they didn't do this. Well, no, here's how we can prove you lied about that. Oh, but it's because of this. It just it's everything has been addressed. This thing is not dangerous. It wasn't in the beginning. The United group made that clear. Peer reviewed science finds it was never worse than the flu. They just don't care. Ignore it. Everything that's happened since has been a lie. The PCR test, the lockdowns, the mask, all of it. And we've proven every single individual part of it. After After the sustained period of excess death in 2022, we should not be seeing numbers like this. But I think we know why. Here's an interesting clip. The clip between Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson and Dell Bigtree. This is a really interesting clip. I'm thinking, let's see where we're at with time. Let's see. Just deciding if I want to go through and play it all. Yeah, we might as well. Now, this is a really telling clip. Just because what they're getting into, it's it's explaining exactly what we've been telling you. And look, I got to be honest. I mean, I've never thought Neil deGrasse Tyson was somebody that was very trustworthy based on his many responses of the past. But this is very clear to me. The way he, even his facial expression towards the end of this, it kind of just reveals that he knows he tra- he's trapped by logic. And that your argument just to endlessly point out that it's only about consensus. That's all that matters. Well, how can you actually say that in the face of such catastrophic failure? I mean, obviously we know it's not failure, but that's how he may frame it or people might talk about it. Or as you could point out, an endless amount of times in the past where consensus was wrong. 
so the the point Dell makes is is very important here that it, it wasn't that they just didn't they just you know only went with consensus they made sure that people that weren't in it were not even considered how anybody can honestly try to argue that's how this is supposed to, is supposed to work is beyond me and i think you can see by his facial expression that he knows he has been exposed the top ranking medical professionals. Let's take a look. I'm at talking here. about, excuse me, medical Dr. Professionals. Peter McCullough. No, no, no. I want to go through what happened consensus. here. This is, this I, is the I, problem I need with the consensus. The consensus. Okay, I just medical want, professional. I want you to... I, because no. the medical is so huge, I can find you an astrophysicist who is sure we've been visited the by aliens. The problem was... That's not the, the problem consensus. was the scientific method died here, and this is the point I want to make. I, my it point, died a death here, need, and I need you to help me save it. Because Dr. Peter McCullough is the leading cardiologist titles don't matter here it's but what should what's funny though is they sure as hell mattered in the beginning didn't they oh that's a debunked old doctor that doesn't even have the right credentials blah 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 oh but now we've gone so far past that that no they don't even matter why because now all the high level people are saying the thing they don't want them to say shocking right what should matter was that the consensus was not allowing to the table. Then you bring that person here and have this conversation I with have. them. Okay. I have. So you don't have to have the conversation with me. But I want I want science and, and so here's what we have. We have Peter we have Peter McCullough, world renowned heart doctor, saying I am seeing a rise in myocarditis because of this vaccine. We have the leading ICU, second most published science. Uh, Paul Merrick. I'm just, I, hear me out here. Hear me out. I know Go. you, I know, all right? These have all been on my show. Dr. Robert Malone, part of the inventing factor behind the mRNA vaccine. All these people have been censored. They were shut down. They were kept from talking to the people in Washington. Johnny and Eden was putting out the data. Dr. J, I'll show you. Dr. J. Bhattacharya, Dr. Sinetra Gupta, Dr. Martin Koldorf, Oxford University, Harvard School of Medicine, Stanford School of Medicine. They put together the Great Barrington Declaration, which was an approach towards this to say, let's do protect that simple, small group that we know needs to be protected and figure out a way the rest of us can establish a herd immunity around them and the nih who's supposed to be objective on this we now have internal email because this is what i do i actually put in FOIA requests we know that this is what francis collins said about those people before even talking to them there needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of the premise being brought by these scientists that really take a minute and, and i know we've talked about that already I, I think most anybody honest has pointed that out but just take a minute and think about how clear that is he's not going Let's, you know, it, the fact that he says quite literally a, a takedown, you know, like to actually take these people out of the conversation, a devastating takedown. That's not let's use the truth. That's that's like this propaganda attack these people, which is what happened. That's from the leading health individual in the country. That's I mean, that's scary. And it really does show you exactly what is going on, not just from the health level, but from all of it. From the intelligence apparatus, from the military, we are being manipulated from the top down and have been for a very, very long time. It's just finally starting to come out. We got to keep going, guys. Truth is what matters. That was the approach to science. No other science can be allowed in here. You started this out by saying every challenge should come in. Every way to say that we don't agree with the hypothesis. Maybe these people say you don't need the vaccine. There's a way through this. Or we should be tactical with the vaccine. All of these people were kept out of the all conversation. I can, all I can comment And you were there. wanting me to sign on to a, a, a social contract where the scientific method isn't being used. All, okay. I... That list of highly pedigreed yeah. medical professionals that you are citing, yeah. I'm not interested 
in medical pedigree, I'm interested in medical consensus, in scientific consensus. The moment someone says, well, I'm of this highfalutin school or this, that's like, okay, that means they're going to say something that goes against the consensus. Possibly. But shouldn't we also consider that that can be influenced? Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? You grown up that's well aware of how the world works. We're not going to pretend like that can't be influenced. Like there can't be people with agendas. You know, what, what he's saying is not, can, you know, focus on the consensus. He's saying, I don't care about anything but the consensus. <laughs> that's just, that's not honest. And they want to use that to help other people follow what it is they say. I'm just saying you need someone who represents a medical consensus here to have that conversation with. We had a medical consensus around a product that we knew nothing about. And the medical consensus around a virus nothing. that told us that they knew nothing about. That, that they kept- well, yes, it's an exaggeration to say nothing, but realize his point. There was a consensus around something as safe and effective that not only did they not know, but have now been proven to be the opposite. That's the reality. And yet here he is tripling down on the lie. Telling us we know very little about it. Mm-hmm. So why was there a medical consensus that was keeping out renowned scientists from the conversation when they were telling us on television, we don't know a lot about this virus. We're trying to figure it out. And on top of that, realize had they allowed all these doctors into the actual conversation, the consensus would have been different. There's an example of how you gain the consensus. Scientists that were on the ground, that were dealing with patients, were being censored, were being shut down. Their YouTube channels were being shut down. Their LinkedIn's were being shut down. Because the individual scientist does not matter. We started this conversation on that very fact. But the scientific method does. Yes, of course it does. And the scientific method producing a consensus and whatever is that consensus All right, at a then given I'll moment tell you this. is kind of the best you when have I can time. look when I can look now in the rearview mirror and right. said it while it was happening that right. there is a and by the way all the scientists I just showed proved to be right. They told you that this virus, that the vaccine would not end this and, and would actually cause an endemic. And remember, same with Dr. Bakhti and plenty of others. They knew this in 2020, right? Now you can disagree with what that reality is, but they are stating that these were dangerous all the way back then. And yes, they are. And we're seeing that, whether they're debating how to the level, but it wasn't like they just guessed and got it right, which is ultimately how they try to frame this. Because you've now made people that cannot clear this virus and kill it. They're all asymptomatic carriers. That's all this vaccine keeps doing. So now we're stuck with this virus. And he goes, yep, yep, very grudgingly, right? That's you just you just admitted that you were that everybody was wrong, not only wrong, but many of you lied, withheld this information that was right from their own documentation. Right. I mean, the point here, the main point, in my opinion, is the IgG4 discussion, which I'll get into later in another show, which ultimately creates like the way your body would deal with an allergy. Right. And so the, pro- the problem here is that it's not it creates what he just said, people that are endlessly sick. But and, and that is a perfect imbo- like a little Petri dish for creating new variants and new problems. And they knew this, guys. They knew it and they blamed it on you. Why? Because I guess they wanted you to be a part of the problem, too. We didn't follow the same path we always have with every other illness, like former coronaviruses well, and most well, of the time death flus. Rates are huh? low. The hospitalization they were the highest is low. De- I mean, I, things are fake. for now. Well, you see, I can't believe Dell let that go. Now, I don't. I, it's, I'm never gonna. You know, it's hard when you're in the middle of an interview. But the bottom line is, what about that? Like, you can make that. He, well, his argument is, well, the deaths are down, the hospitalization down. Are they though? 
Are we just pretending that all this excess death is not a part of the problem? Like, you can't just pretend that it's all low and down and good. Well, before, you were conflating COVID-19 with the flu, and you were warping in PCR false positives, and now you're gaming that down for whatever reason. It's easy to prove when they change the cycle threshold or when they suddenly decouple flu from the problem. Weird, everything looks different now. Are we pretending he doesn't know this stuff? For now, but as you and I both know, these... I mean, I was talking about Neil deGrasse Tyson, to be clear. Variants continue to be out there, and we are all worried that there could be a variant in the future that could be dangerous. But all that being said, Mm -hmm. in the end, what I am standing for is that there is no challenge being allowed. That the NIH, when it's telling us, is objectively looking at a virus they're telling us they don't know much about, is pushing out top people in their field who are trying to get to the table. They're trying to say there's something you're not looking at. And this, and when you want to talk about a problem, how about not funding to do that study again? How about not allowing into the room people with great perspective? Hmm. It's worth watching the whole thing, but it's just very, very clear to me. And I do think that the, the elephant in the room is the, you know, the excess death on the side of all this that's really obviously connected. Now they're all, they're all, see, what's interesting about it is they're right now trying to go, oh, this is down, this is down, this is down. While not pointing at the excess death, mind you, right? Except when we point at that and say vaccine connected, they go, no, probably COVID. Okay, well, then why don't you include that in the COVID numbers you just lied about? <laughs> that's what it looks like to be caught in your lie. Right. That you're just ignoring everything. You're not dismissing things. You're ignoring everything and just moving forward. Excess death is gigantic. So it's something's causing it. And if it's COVID, then why aren't you showing exploding COVID numbers? Right. If it's not, then what's causing it? This is painfully easy. That's how obvious it is. They're caught right now, guys. But this is the kind of consensus that people like Neil deGrasse Tyson are okay with, apparently. You know, the fact that we were gaslit and lied to and shouted down about things like Johnson's baby powder causing cancer. And Johnson & Johnson just agreed to pay $9 billion because their baby powder causes cancer. <laughs> That's how that works. But yeah, but they, but your media and the studies that came out and Johnson lobbyists and they all said fake news and you're liars. And, and meanwhile, in that entire period of time, babies were still getting this stuff and potentially causing cancer. Right. So now when we're going, no, the injections are causing turbo cancers. Oh, fake news. Until at some point down the line, they quietly settle for a billion dollars. Oh, and then, and then does everybody get solved? Do you get money from that? No. Do your kids or cancer go away or every other ailment that's being caused? This was about consensus here. But it's not just this one thing. This is one small example of all of these companies. Take a look at Pfizer's track record, as you guys have seen many times. But let's trust the consensus because that can't be broken or altered or manipulated. Again, it's the obvious, the most obvious thing in the world to realize if you just kick everyone out of the circle that doesn't say what you want, the consensus becomes pretty clear. That's quite obvious. On top of all of it, as I said the other day, well, they just okayed a second, not, not just another booster, guys, literally another Omicron targeting booster. At the time when they just reported, or rather it broadly got reported, that the actual Omicron booster shot bivalent was a failure that it didn't work. And even Fauci came out with the entire program and said that we ultimately failed in the cell.com article. Here's the British Medical Journal, Journal of Medical Ethics, peer-reviewed study, as we've seen, saying the mandates for these specific boosters will cause a net harm. A net harm. That to potentially prevent one hospitalization, 
you have to cause over 18 serious adverse events, hospitalization, death, and permanent disability. Does that sound like that makes sense? Let's stop one possible hospitalization and cause possibly 19 deaths. That works. No, it doesn't. And that's not just because of other factors. These things are hurting people. And on top of that, you have all the other studies that show that the bivalent shots specifically cause more side effects, have less effect, effect, excuse me, efficacy, assuming that's even, you know, there's a whole debate to be had there around what that's even doing. And then the point is that are we even dealing with what they tell us is Omicron? I know that conversation has trailed off on the news today, but the last time they were talking about it, we were four things past Omicron. But I guess that doesn't matter. Let's just keep giving them the old broken thing if they're going to still take it. Federal regulators have decided to authorize a second Omicron-specific booster shot. But for people at least 65 and a weak immune system. Great. So the the, the people that are at risk of the most harm from it. Fantastic. An effort to provide additional protection to high-risk individuals. You know, the injections they haven't tested on immunocompromised people. Or they haven't tested on elderly people. Which is literally the fact, still to this day. It says right in the documentation, people who are frail with comorbidities, we have not tested on. Same with the immune system. We'll give it to them first, though, for the thing that's less than the flu that we can prove. Eligible individuals will be able to receive the dose as long as it is at least four months since their first shot of what was known as the bivalent booster, which targets Omicron, BA4 and 5, and and as well as the original. Right. All of which are not really the focus right now. I guess that doesn't matter to them. Just take it anyway, though. Well, on top of all of it, which really does begin to expose that it's really just about getting this in your body, at least that's what it appears to be, at all costs, Dr. Peter McCullough has revealed that Chinese, uh, the Chinese, a Chinese study has shown that they have successfully loaded cow's milk with mRNA, and it was then absorbed into the GI tract of recipients. Where they are, which they argue was successfully immunizing the mice that they that took it. This is, I mean, over the top of concerning to me. Because we've been talking about this a long time. Now you can read the study, both I mean, trial site news put it out, but Mercola also put it out. Uh, Mercola also put it out on his uh, Substack, Courageous Discourse. So you can check that out. What's very concerning to me as it says, researchers from the University of California have found that mRNA vaccines such as Biotech, Pfizer, Moderna are not passed on through your breast milk. Which is kind of, you know, the the general thought, the consensus, if you will. Saying, yes, yes, we know because that's what we're told. That's what it says. Except that's the opposite of what numerous studies have found, including from 2023. January 19th, 2023. Now, this is sort of like the game with the spike protein where they're like, fake news, it doesn't go in your blood at all. And then it goes, well, it does, but it's so small, it doesn't matter. And then it becomes, oh, yes, it does, and it makes a lot of them, but don't worry, it's not dangerous. <laughs> okay, well, why would we listen to you now if you just got caught being wrong very seriously twice in a row? It's, just, it's, called, it's like mission creep for their narrative. They just hope you'll take the next lie. But here, in January 19, 2023, under COVID-19 vaccines on the National Library of Medicine, NIH, it says samples of women who received the mRNA vaccine contained trace amounts of mRNA. In this one case, 36 of 40 of them in one of the study, did in fact have mRNA in their in their milk. Now, this one had less, five of 309. But either way, some of them had detectable mRNA levels in their breast milk. How in the world can you go on arguing fake news, not real, as of today, when that's not the truth, as of January 2023? And understand, even this is a complete bastardization of the real story, which is, there. I mean, there are 
look up on Vayers and you will see how many examples of that happening to infants breastfeeding, dying a, a week later, a day later. And the fact that you can prove that they've already shown you that you can pass on all sorts of things from these injections. And then now we've got the point that they're telling you, well, we can use this process with milk to pass it on to mice. So what's the truth here? Regardless of how you feel that, it, that how you see, regardless of how it's already happened and your perception of it, they're telling you they just did this. They're telling you that we can put this in milk and you could drink it and you will be immunized, whatever that means. So we really need to ask ourselves whether or not this is something that's already happening. At the very least, something that's being driven. I mean, well, I, I don't even say that. It is being driven toward. They are, act, they are actively working towards this end. Plants as mRNA factories. This has been a discussion for decades. I wrote about this in regard to, uh, I think it was called Prairie City Inc. in Canada when they were talking about GMO cannabis like a decade ago. What they were talking about, the company was literally working on plants that can be grown, that are grown with antidepressants in them and, and drugs in them that you can just eat. Of course, they don't care how that could possibly translate to other, other naturally grown things or you could eat it and not know. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. This is September 2021. Now, I could show you 15 other articles about the same thing right up until today, talking about making this happen for, for food, drinks, sprays. It's all real. Now, I also want to point out, as I've said many times, that in 2019 and plenty of other conversations, they've made many arguments coming from... High, this, is, this one specifically was, um, <laughs> of course, medical ethics, humanities and law, Western Michigan University. But many different arguments have made in this in study in scientific journals that, well, should we want to do and understand that mRNA injections very clearly fall under the category of bioenhancement, bioengineering. They may not want you to know that, but that's the reality. The point is they're saying that it is morally preferable for compulsory. Well, let me just read this first part. It says, I take that uh, says. Some theorists argue that moral bioenhancement should be compulsory. They should force you to do it for the betterment of humanity. They say it's morally preferable for compulsory moral bioenhancement to be administered without you knowing about it so they can receive it because that's better for everybody. It, this has been made so many times. This is the same argument about, you know, stopping, you know, giving people an enzyme that makes them not want to eat meat because they'll save the planet or blah, 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 stopping climate change. They're, they're talking about doing things to you without your knowledge. So you act the way they think you should for the betterment of whatever X, Y, and Z. That's, that's horrifying, especially since I would argue they don't care about what's best for everybody. On top of that, they could just be wrong. No going back from genetic manipulation. Well, here is a tweet from Bernie's tweets in regard to the food basically using virus-like particles to basically turn food into vaccination. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll wait to jump for out the video, but you, you likely remember where the virus-like particles connects to. One of the beginning conversations of this whole creepy COVID-19 illusion. Do you remember what that is? Eddie Cago's manufacturing facility looks like a nursery, but inside these plants, they're growing a new kind of vaccine. The technology is called a virus-like particle. At Medicago, we use a careful step-by-step -step process to develop vaccines, using our plants as mini bioreactors. We start with a gene sequence or code of a virus. 
We then use our technology to synthesize the virus code into a real biological product. The code contains genetic instructions that our plants can read, and we insert it into bacteria called Agrobacterium tumefaciens. This is, this is the injection. This is your mRNA platform conversation in plant form. I mean, that's, this is everything they're doing is aimed in this direction. It's horrifying. We submerge the plants in a bath with the bacteria that carries the information into the plant cells. And using a vacuum, we suck out the air between the plant cells and replace it with the liquid. The plants absorb it like a sponge. At the end of their bacterial bath, we return our plants to a carefully controlled greenhouse to let them get on with their natural growing business for at least four days. Now the plants will start producing the most important ingredient of our vaccines, virus-like particles. Right. And who's, who's to say if that's been done for 20 years? Who knows, right? The bottom line is that that is the step that's already being taken. And now they're publicly telling you that's what they're aiming at. That should be concerning. It is to me. Virus-like particles, right? We've talked about this a lot. The whole concept of using a virus as the vector, you know, as the, you know, I mean, this is ultimately gain-of-function research as far as I'm concerned, because I promise you, you could use the same, whether we're talking about the injection or anything else. If the whole point is about using this, it, this, uh, you know, the, the lipid nanoparticles to encapsulate the mRNA instructions to produce the spike protein, to then cause your body to act a certain way, well, what's to say that it's not going to produce something else? You're told that it's supposed to produce spike protein. What if it's you can give in something different that produces something else? Maybe that something else is causing your body to break down. Oh, conspiracy theory. Are we really going to pretend that the, the, the military hasn't already factored in how this could be applied around the world? Or should they decide to do so? I can almost be, I'm, I'm willing to bet you that's, well, I mean, look, I could prove to you that's where it started. We've talked about all of this. The military, DARPA, where this comes from as a military operation. This is clear today. So the point for me is where does this tie back to in regard to the injection and the history of COVID-19's illusion? Virus-like particles are nanostructures that possess diverse applications in therapeutics, immunization, and diagnostics due to recent advancements in biomedical engineering technologies. As it says here, these technology, virus-like particle technology presents an alternative platform for developing effective vaccines to combat infectious diseases for serious concern and is moving in parallel with the mRNA and viral vector-based vaccines. Now, understand, it's different than the mRNA platform, but it's the same type of technology in the, in the concept of using the virus as a you know medium, essentially, to produce something. They're here. Now, to be clear, I mean, there, it's, there's a whole chasm between the idea of what virus-like particles are and the mRNA platform. But in the general concept of what they're working on, this is, like, my, my I guess my opinion is that it stems from the same work. Let's put it that way. And this is one of the things I'm talking about. It goes long before this, but realize I've brought this up a lot. This is Charles Lieber. January, February 2011, where he was working at the time, and still is apparently, the world, the world's leading scientist on nanotechnology. Virus-sized transistors. Charles Lieber and his colleagues used nanowires in 2011 to create a transistor so small that it could be used to enter and probe cells without disrupting the intracellular machinery. These nanoscale semiconductor switches could even be used to enable two-way communication with individual cells. Right, but when they, when they hold up this gigantic, you know, pill-sized thing and say, cutting-edge technology, they're lying to you. Nanoscale device can actually communicate with a living organism. It says, but when his team coated the hairpin nanowire with a fatty lipid layer, 
Right. Think lipid nanoparticle, mRNA instruction, spike protein. This is the same direction. Now, the question should be whether or not we are being given what they tell us or maybe something else. When his team coated the hairpin nanowire with a fatty lipid layer, the device was easily pulled into the cell via membrane fusion, a process related to the one cells you the process related to the one cells use to engulf viruses and bacteria. It's, this is the same stuff. The innovation is important, Lieber explains, because it indicates that when a man-made structure is as small as a virus or bacteria, well, it can behave like a biological structure does. Sort of like saying that what we're dealing with might as well be virus-sized transistors and we wouldn't know any different. We wouldn't be able to tell. Such devices might one day provide hybrid biological digital computation, like the Great Reset, fusing your biological and digital person. It says, or deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's, like what Elon Musk is working on, or serve as an interface for a prosthetic that requires information processing at a point where one attaches to its owner. Again, what they're all pretending it's all about. Don't you want people to walk and see again? When scaled down, the difference between digital and living organisms blurs, or living systems so that you have an opportunity to do things that sound like science fiction, things that people have only dreamed about. In 2011, well, let's pretend like they weren't actively testing, using, and playing with this since then until suddenly in 2020, something happens. But don't forget, weirdly, right before the whole thing kicked off, he was shuttled away as some kind of working with China. That's pretty interesting, right? Working with China in regard to what? Nano-sized transistors, virus-sized transistors, potentially in, in release of exactly what we're talking about, or the people that were caught also with him as a Chinese national that had biomaterial in his sock, bringing from Beth Israel Hospital. All of this was part of the story around Charles Lieber right in the beginning of all this. What was it about? I think there's more to this in regard to exactly what we're talking about today, whether it's the injection itself or how it's being played, or even, even more so than that, guys, as I bring up constantly about something that's already being used, which is why we have the concerns about how we can see shedding of mRNA and spike protein and so on. This is the logical conclusion that if it's in plants or elsewhere, that's still a static concept. This is what they've been asking and driving for. And if we're talking about virus-sized transistors, how do we know that's not already what's been released and maybe got out of control? Maybe that was the design. The fact that we're afraid to ask these questions is why most people have a hard time reaching the truth. Because this is the kind of stuff that they've always been guilty of, that you can prove going back as far as you want to look. So let's watch this clip again to understand what they're, gui- what they're driving toward. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases is by releasing a virally transmitted vaccine? Unlike traditional vaccines, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Infectious solutions are also being developed for food and agriculture and are currently making their way through the regulatory approval process. Okay, so is that what those are, right? If if we are being told in 2020, uh, or I think this one, yeah, it was 2020. So this is the beginning, guys, in the beginning of all this. Before we're even in danger, we're being told. They're going, we're working on self-spreading vaccines and food. And then now we're being sold the idea of, you know, just va- the, just the vaccine part of it. So why'd they take a step back? If they were already working on this product, part of it, why are they suddenly pivoting into not self-spreading versions of it? Or are we just being sold part of the story? I'll leave it to you to decide, guys. But I think it's pretty obvious what this is really all about. 
This is the Euroscience Open Forum. I mean, this is adjacent, you know, the UN kind of, these are the concepts of the international um, infrastructure around these kind of scientific meetings and so on. I believe, I forget, when I looked this up the first time, this was like UN adjacent. It essentially had a UN tie to it. This has just been long since I've had the full conversation of it, but you can look this up for yourself. How we ignore this, my God, we do to our detriment. But this is what brings me to the very alarming step, like as we're watching this stuff flesh out, to, to what's called a World Vaccine Congress. Introducing the supporting partners of the World Vaccine Congress, Washington, 2023. Register now to take advantage. Now, a lot of these aren't outwardly, I mean, some of them are, like you could point out some of these different things are concerning, you know, whether we, bottom line, people are going to have their own opinions, Johnson and Johnson right in the middle. But the truth is not, in my opinion, is more about the people involved with the actual organization. Either way, why in the world we need a world vaccine Congress? Because obviously there's something very prominent and central to what they're trying to achieve around specifically vaccination. After one of the most failed and obviously detrimental campaigns I've ever seen in my life that everyone seems to be aware of, including the people that once supported them. And they're now they're using that to transition into a world vaccine Congress. My God, th- this is desperation from my perspective. Why would you take this shot right now as we're all seeing through it? Here it is. The World Vaccine Congress, Washington, R&D, strategic partnering for the global vaccine industry. They're already building out their one world order global perspective right now. Well, if we're going to have a centralized world economic forum, public private partnership, global industry, well, we need a global vaccine one too. Scary. I don't know why anybody thinks this makes sense. Check the people out involved. So throughout this process, we have seen these people expose themselves. So in a a world vaccine Congress that's supposed to be, you know, outwardly about keeping you safe and fighting bad things, why you then include the people that have a profit motive, like Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, Chief Scientific Officer, Global Therapeutic Area Head. These are people that have been proven to have lied to you about their own products. Johnson & Johnson just paid $9 billion for cancer-causing baby powder. But sure, bring them in. They got trustworthy background. How How about Dr. Gary Disbrow from BARDA? These are government organizations or the FDA in general. How about, uh, where was it? Oh, he's Dr. Peter Hotez, because he's trustworthy, right? How many times has he been wrong, blatantly wrong about this whole process and just still shouts you down as being, he literally says that you having an opinion about this, that he says is wrong, is terrorism. But let's make sure he's on the World Vaccine Council, right? Biomedical Advanced Research, U.S. Amer- These are groups that are part of this problem. Groups that are tied directly back to the the origins of this whole game that are being played against us right now. DARPA, specifically. BioNTech. Right, BioNTech and Pfizer. Merck, Sanofi. I mean, why don't we just organize every single profit or pharmaceutical company who has a profit motive to push vaccines and let them be on the council that decides whether the world needs them? That sounds like it makes sense, right? (laughs) This is not a government body, guys. This is a vaccine sales campaign. That's what this is. Oh, and this was just the schedule. So, oh, that's right. I forgot to follow up. Apparently on the, the fourth and fifth, there was this whole, you know, it, it took $500 to be able to access this. Shocker, right? But these people are all here speaking on this whole process but you, that you don't get to be a part of, that somehow influences your life. HHS, all the rest of them. Most of these people are not elected. 
but let's let them decide your future. Now, what I thought was very strange to all of this, as we will follow up more on what this is and what they're trying to accomplish, is that you can search for the World Vaccine Congress. Nothing pops up. Let me do this, actually. I didn't think about that. Yeah, see? That's pretty strange, isn't it? Of all places, Wikipedia doesn't have the World Vaccine Congress. It's there. I mean, look, here's here's Google Trends. Apparently, in 2004, man, it was popping off. And then it got real quiet and down to almost. So it's weird that it becomes less and less talked about right up until it becomes a prominent conversation. That's pretty telling, isn't it? It's almost like somebody's trying to suppress the whole concept. I mean, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not saying it's always a conspiracy, but explain that for me. You could find the most inane things on Wikipedia with 14 pages, but you have a World Vaccine Congress and there's not a page for it? That does not ring true to me. Well, we know that ultimately this whole push, in my opinion, oh, let's just put it this way. One of the largest aspects to this manipulation is about driving you into a social credit system, into a digital ID, into all of these things. And the vaccine passport, whether from a world perspective or, or nation, is largely in part about keeping you, forcing you into the digital ID infrastructure, as well as the health overlaps that are obviously there. But as we've talked about, even with the biomedical thing we just pointed at, right? The idea that Right, where they're telling you that, well, we, if we're going to do it. We might as well do it secretly because they're too dumb to understand. Well, there's a lot of conversations from 2020 and before using social norms to drive positive changes in health. Basically, using guilt and social influence to drive you to be better, or as they see it anyway. Our financial institutions using ESG social credit scores to coerce individuals and small businesses. Spoiler alert yes, they are. Here's the hill 2021. Coming soon, America's own social credit system. These are not hiding. They're they're not hidden concepts, guys. By the way, credit is already part. That's what credit already is, your your credit score. But social credit will be used, just like it is in China and elsewhere, despite them constantly saying, China, bad guy, but we want to be just like them. It's about driving you in the the direction of more control. And then the the digital step comes into play with the overlap of the vaccine passport and how they drive that in. But... All of that is leading us in the direction of the CBDC control, because if they can control your money, they can control damn near everything. And all of that is a means to an end, at least in large part, in my opinion, to drive you into this control structure. Here's what RFK Jr. said about it. The Fed just announced it will introduce its Fed Now central bank digital currency in July. CBDCs grease the slippery slope to financial slavery and political tyranny. While cash transactions are anonymous, a CBDC will allow the government to surveil all of our private financial affairs. The central bank will have the power to enforce dollar limits on our transactions, restricting where you can spend money, where you can spend it, and when it expires. That's a really important point that's not hypothetical. They've already put this out there, saying we're going to put time limits on the money you can hold. But yeah, it's all for your convenience though, right? They don't want you to ever be capable of being rich again. A CBDC tied to digital ID and social credit score will allow the government to freeze your assets or limit your spending to approved vendors. If you fail to comply with arbitrary dictates, vaccine mandates, the Fed will initially limit the CBDC to interbank transactions, but we should not be blind to the obvious danger that this is the first step in banning and seizing Bitcoin as the Treasury did with gold 90 years ago. Now, I would say it's a little bit of a misrepresentation, maybe because he, maybe I, I don't know his understanding of cryptocurrency, but Bitcoin is just one version of cryptocurrency. So the concept here is that they would step in and ban and seize you know, 
alternative versions of cryptocurrency, which I kind of think is impossible at the re- to the real sense that it'll still be there to some level. But if it's not usable, then is it really necessary? Is it really meaningful at that point? It's we'll see where this goes. I argue that you should be leading into these alternative uses just like we did anywhere else. But be skeptical of them, just like we are anywhere else. Watch as governments, which never let a good crisis go to waste, use COVID-19 and the banking crisis to usher in a new wave of CBDCs as a safe haven from germ-laden paper currencies or as a protection against bank runs. Or all of them together. That's where this seems to be going. Now, here's a video that I think is important. It's it's not entirely the, the entire picture, but I think it's important. Say Cheese says the U.S. Federal Reserve banking system is launching its own cash app. Then, yeah, we'll get to that next called Fed now in July. This is a movement towards getting rid of physical money and having digital currency. That's literally what this is. We'll play this next. Well, actually, something I just brought it up. Realize this is pretty damn concerning to me. Think about the timing of this. The founder of Cash App was stabbed to death in San Francisco on, on the 5th of April or right before that. Right before they announced their version of Cash App. <laughs> That's pretty. It could be coincidence. Who knows? But let's watch this clip. He makes a good point. July, so what is Fed now? And is it really a way for this July? So what is Fed now? And is it really a way for the federal government to control us? The short answer is yes, it is. Now for the long answer. Fed now is a new payment service that will allow money to be transferred instantly 24-7, 365 days a year between banks, businesses, and people. Sounds all good and dandy, right? Wrong. This is how FedNow is going to work. At least this is their plan for how it's going to work. All the banks and businesses are going to sign up for the new FedNow instant payment service. Americans, like you and I, have our money in those banks. So if you buy something on Amazon, the money's going to go from your bank account to a Fed credit account, then to Amazon. Here's the issue. That Fed credit account is where all of the money in the United States will be funneled through. And if every bank and every business uses the FedNow service, the federal government will know your every single move. You go to now, I mean, what's interesting, I mean, I don't even need to play anymore, really. I mean, you can argue it's already what's happening, right? I mean, seriously, that's literally what is already happening. This is just adding like one more middleman. Shocking. Somebody else needs to get their cut, right? But either way, it's about funneling control through a central point. That's all it really comes down to. It's not just about knowing what you do. They already know that, guys. Like, let's not be naive. They already are. I mean, it's not just that it's like some entity always tracking you, but should they want to? There's a thousand examples of how you can immediately be tracked in this moment. Your phone, your computer, your smart devices, simple Wi-Fi access to every. I mean, I've read entire articles about how it's possible to use Wi-Fi to just basically pick up. I mean, it's so obvious how they're able to listen and track pretty much everything, including your injections and whether or not you've gotten them, whether or not the, the new conversation that's coming out. It's already known and it has been for a long time. So to me, it's more, it's not just about tracking your every move. It's about being able to stop them, which is what he does say as well. But I don't think they need to know what you're doing. I think they already know that. This is just about being able to pull that rug, pull the plug when the time comes. Go to the grocery store to buy milk, they'll know. You go to buy your girlfriend flowers, they'll know. Every single transaction that comes out of your bank account, they will know. They already do though. That's the point, right? But in this case, it's not just about the flowers. It's about, well, did you buy the right thing? Did you vote for the right person? Did you say the right thing today? Why is this bad? Well, to start, it's a complete invasion of our privacy. And more importantly, if the federal government doesn't like what you're buying or where you're sending your money, they can shut you down. Yeah, that's the crux of the point. Now, here is Yellen, Janet Yellen, saying you are going to, well, basically, this is Ron Johnson pushing the idea of $50 $50 trillion debt. 
coming from what I think it was 38. He's talking about the point is listen to the way she responds to this. The work, the, the plan is to just almost triple the national debt. This is not only unsustainable and everybody inside knows that. I think it's about engineering collapse, but bottom line there, this is not a, a functioning or a, a what's the right word I'm looking for. If you ran a business and you had, you just continue to take on more debt and more debt and more debt and you just keep building. That is not sustainable. Obviously, there's another word I'm looking for. It, you are insolvent. You are not, you should not exist anymore. But the problem is that this is the leading power here. And so they just get to keep doing what they want, taking from you. This is wealth transfer. I mean, there's been, I think even Rand Paul has an example or maybe it was Thomas Massey. I forget which one of them has a, a plan that says, look, if you follow this within so many years, we could be out of debt. But they don't want that. I think that's the true point here. But listen to the way she responds to this and, and ask yourself whether these people have your best interest in mind. You're going to drive the debt from somewhere around $32 trillion up to about $50 trillion, correct? Wow. Yes, but what, <laughs> what I believe is the single most import, important metric for judging the fiscal stance of the country is real net interest as a share of GDP. Okay. We have so, so are you a, concerned a when, you, when you're taking the debt from 32 to $50 trillion, are you concerned who's going to buy that debt? And also at what rate they'll expect to be compensated for buying riskier and riskier debt? Are you concerned right. about that? Well, if the net... And don't, I mean, China is the obvious discussion about buying up debt from this country. But I think the bigger point is what she says next. Interest, real net interest cost of the, if the net interest, real net interest cost of the debt remains low relative to GDP, and we're on a sustainable fiscal. Well, we're, we're not. Course. We're not. We're not on a well, sustainable I, path. Are you, I, just, I, that, that's the point. What do you mean? So she's literally goes, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. If it if it's low, and then we're on a sustainable track. Okay. Well. Literally, the opposite of sustainable is more debt, more debt, more debt, more debt. So they're lying to everybody. And they're just keeping this together with shoestrings and bubble gum. And it doesn't matter, though, because they're cashing out right now. That's my opinion, anyway. Isn't that shocking? But as long as we're on a sustainable path, I just can't even believe these people exist. Now, as I pointed out, and well, this is the Disco's tweet saying that she, that in, the, in this discussion... Treasury, the U.S. Treasury Department says that DeFi and decentralized crypto markets threaten national security. Here we go. As I said, well, it sure threatens something, just not national security. Yet again, predicted by the independent media. It seems this alarming and unwanted transition is about to kick off in earnest. Hashtag Great Reset, hashtag CBDC, digital ID, social credit. This is, I mean, to, to pull this out and say, well, the crypto is, is a threat. How exactly is that a threat? Because I mean, we could prove to you that they work through the dollar in all of their black market illicit pro actions and everything else is human trafficking, organ trafficking. You know, maybe that you, people use crypto too, but to pretend that it's unique to crypto is just wildly ignorant, willfully so. This is about the threat to their control. I think that's very telling. Now, one last, I think two last points. Here is somebody uh, that thinks from Scotland, Scottish National Party. Just pointing out what we all seem to know right now, that we don't want this, and they're pushing it anyway. Everyone wants a digital trail, and others simply cannot pay by card. The petitioners also express concerns about the cashless payments creating an enforced dependency on banks, 
and a threat to privacy as people cannot make anonymous payments. They stated that if we wish to uphold freedom of choice and the right to privacy, it is imperative that we protect the use of cash. There are dangerous political implications with going cashless, as instances of banks and financial service providers closing accounts for political reasons are not unprecedented and are clearly at odds with liberal society's cornerstone of freedom of belief. In an age of technology, of algorithms, digital footprints and cyber crimes, it is understandable that some, indeed perhaps many of our constituents, would prefer the financial privacy offered by cash transactions. Indeed, some of those constituents who wrote to me in recent weeks to raise this point, many stated they regard barriers to using cash as a violation of their right to privacy. Clearly, cash remains an important and valued part of our transactional landscape, and as such, the ability to both access and use cash must be protected. I think we all know that at, at heart, like no matter what arguments are being made about illnesses and whatever else, it's obvious what's actually happening. It's time to do something about it, and I'm not talking about violence. I never am. CBDCs will be used for control, as we've already actually shown you this. It's not from Zero Hedge, where, where uh, what's her name again? Um, Christian Lagarde, president of the European Central Bank, is caught, just like we keep showing you by pranksters and comedians or probably some kind of international, who knows, maybe Russian intelligence, who knows? It doesn't matter at the end of the day because they're still caught saying the lie or rather saying the truth when they're normally lying, which is they're asking them about what's the truth about the CBDCs and it's, well, it's more, it's control over the payments. <laughs> yep, exactly. Just like we just pointed out the examples of, uh, who was it? The person who was caught admitting, oh, that it was about Ukraine. That what it was really about was giving Ukraine more time to, to get money and you know, they just, it's because they think they're talking to Zelensky. It doesn't matter where it's really coming from. For all we know, it's Russian intelligence. But the truth is, it's still exposing you're being lied to. Now, just, you know, I can get all day on the argument that, so the truth is helping Russia. It's like, my God, the bending of this for people. But the bottom line is, guys, this is sprinting in this direction. We all see it. We all know it. And if we're going to let the team sport politics guide us into this technocratic panopticon, I mean, some people would argue you deserve it. I don't. I don't think we, anybody does. I think we're all being gamed into this. And the artificial intelligence aspect, I, was, I threw this in at the last second, but I think it's really interesting to me that this is making it next to impossible. The more this fleshes out, and don't forget, Elon Musk is also involved with ChatGPT. They are building this around us right now. Look at what just happened. ChatGPT apparently falsely accused a law professor of a sex attack against students during a trip to Alaska that apparently never happened. What is that coming from? And apparently this is enough to cause this kind of attention. People are investigating. Why? Because some AI algorithm makes an allegation like that's it. This is this means something. Realize this is a precursor to where we're going. We already saw people like Eric Schmidt tell you that, well, we're going to get to a point where AI is going to tell us we need to do things that we may think are morally incorrect, but they know better. Do they? Or is it even AI? Is this being guided by something else? Can we even know for sure? That's the world we're being driven into right now. Hopefully we can do something about it. Continue to speak out, stand up, protest, do whatever you think you need to to stop this other than, in my opinion, committing violence because I think that's what they want from you. But we just got to keep spreading the word, keep putting the information out because my belief is that even just we have made an effect with what we're doing. 
Just look at how this has happened throughout this process. You've changed the world just by continuing to point this out. We're going to keep going, guys, because they're not going to stop. So we can't either. Thank you for joining today and keep sharing the word, guys. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.